Welcome to episode 650 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 650 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom, Bevan James. Oh, how are you going, stranger? It's been a while. This may be the longest we haven't seen each other oh, in 10 years. I think so. At least over Skype. Sometimes we do some shows over Skype when you're away. But for you guys, you've had shows every week over the last month. But Bevan and I, we pre-recorded them all. So this someone is actually, someone actually gave me an email and said, come on boys, sharpen up. We, we're, missing, we're missing you in the, in the flesh. Oh, We've got to have a holiday. I just worked out that what happened was John decided to have his holidays later this year. Why'd you have your holidays later? It was great. It's going to be. Um, it's going to be. This is, is going to be a trend that's going to ca- that's going to carry on. Why was it great? Uh, because we had the place to ourselves when uh, we were away. Because Kaiteri is nut bar around New Year's, isn't it? Well, not so much Kaiteri, just the house to ourselves. Oh, okay, no family. So, <laughs> yeah, so that was uh, that was fantastic. <laughs> Really, really good. Ah, <laughs> oh, the perfect holiday, no family. Yeah. Iron Talk is proudly brought to you by Extreme Endurance. Lactic Buffer. And our patrons. And his name, if you vote, Jumbo. Robert the Spine Tangler Green. We've got Damien, the $100 Bill Bennett. And Paul, the Tiger Munro. Okay, in this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic. We've got an interview, which we're deciding as we're going through the show. But I think we've got our interview in place, and it's with, a, with a Dr. Paul Wood. We're going with it, John. Dr. Paul Wood is a psychologist who has a pretty fascinating story. And it's actually a, a, a one I released on my show this month, um, the Bevan James Owls show. So it's not necessarily triathlon specific, but pretty amazing interview. Uh, so we'll go deeper into that later on. Um, and then we also have some Webs of the Week, Winger of the Week, and questions and answers at the end of the show. Jombo, there's been a bit of news over the holiday season. There has, and some quite interesting stuff going on. And let's talk about this first one. The Million Dollar Triple Crown is back. Well, I don't, it's never gone away, I don't think. But we didn't, hear, we didn't hear anything about last year, did we? Well, I think it's all over relatively, can be over relatively quickly. Um, but After two races at least, yeah. Yeah, so it's a, just a bizarre one. But this year, first thing is, it's on. Second thing was, I did see something on Iron Man that they were actually had something on their website. In the past, yep. it's been completely separate. Uh, you haven't heard anything from Iron Man, but there was something on ironman.com, I think it was, or I saw it somewhere on an Iron Man platform that is actually saying, right, this is on. Um, it's going to be interesting and so For those who don't know much about it, basically there's three 70.3s, 70.3 Dubai, 70.3 World Championships, which will be in Nice this year, and the 70.3 in Bahrain. If you win all three of those, now is it a million each or is it yeah, split? Yeah, a million each. Okay, so if you win either male or female, you take home a million dollars. It's only happened once. Daniela Reef won it about four or five years ago. Um, and in that time since then, nobody has actually taken out the million dollar purse, but it, it is up for grabs again. And looking at the field coming up for Dubai, it probably looks like only a couple of people could probably go on to win. Absolutely. Look, but the biggest challenge is it's a year-long yeah. competition. And so, it's starting now. Mm, February uh, for the first race, which is it's in two weeks' time in Dubai, then the World Championships in September, and then the final race in Bahrain, which is usually end of November or start of December. So it makes for a very long season. And it is cool to get excited about, about this, but as Bevan said, there's only a handful of people that are probably looking at this going, I've got a realistic crack at that. So you'd say Alistair Brownlee's one. Yep. You'd say Jan Blumenfeld. Fred- Blumenfeld is another. And probably Jan Fredino. Yep. 
But they're not oh, down for Dubai. Um, well, at this stage. Uh, yeah, exactly. So Blumenfeld and Brownlee are. Yep. So on the guys' side, they're in contention. And in terms of females, you've got Anne Haig. You probably got a, yeah a couple more that could win all three. Holly Lawrence. But you've got to say, if Danielle Reef does any one of those three, it's going to be pretty hard for them to beat. Well, she's uh, doing the world champs. She is, and uh, so but you never know. She could punch her or yeah. Bomb well, it's interesting. Out she's not doing this race. And, uh, yeah. So. Is a million dollars that more? What's more important, winning say seventy point three world title or a million bucks? And for her, going seventy point three in Kona is probably more important than winning a million bucks. But what you could say now, she's probably not conditioned right now, Mm -hmm. um, and so you can't be that disrespectful with the field. But she is a class above, even Mm -hmm. at seventy point three. She kind of tends to be. I know it is closer, but um, this is early enough for her to still pop out a race. Yeah, but the, the world championships all happen around the same time. Although Nice is earlier this year, isn't it? Uh, no, they're always about that time. September. It's usually yeah. sort of four or five weeks out from Kona, and then you have it after Kona anyway. Mm. So it's but not. Got, it, it's not so much the physical condition; it's the mental condition as well. She's got to be ready, or you know, I would imagine all that matters for her is winning Kona. If she bombed out every other race in the year, which she hasn't so far every year. All she cares about probably is Kona. Mm. And so million bucks, I, I would imagine she's probably going to get that amount in prestige and endorsements by winning Kona again. So it's probably not so much about the money. What's really fascinating is this doesn't seem to attract everyone. No. You know, like, you know we talk about there's not much money in a sport. And I know that for the, the Brownleys, the, you know, Fredinos and that of the world, they're probably making more than a million dollars a year. But still... Yeah, what attracted them a few years ago is when they had the first big challenge race over there, and then they had big prize money, but it paid deep. And and I, you got to think, most of the pros are going to be looking at this, going, "I can't win three races." Yeah. So, yeah, stuff, but it's, uh, good, it's good, good. Because it's something to talk about. Exactly. But more importantly, but Brownlee, I mean, we could have two winners on it. You know, on the men's side, I think Brownlee and Blumenfeld have got a strong chance. Yep. Females is going to be a lot harder. So you got Annie Haug, um, who's got a realistic chance, and Holly Lawrence, but. You've always got the, the um, Daniela factor in there as well. A piece of news that was quite big over the last period of time is Gomez is going back to short course, which basically means he can't do Ironman. Well, this has come off one. We haven't had an English translation of this. Okay. This, so, was, this so, was reported on triathlonworld.com, which said, according to Spain's El Espano news site, it said that he uh, is going to be focusing on the Olympics. So uh, we haven't had anything in English directly quoted that I've seen from Gomez saying this, but it doesn't he, surprise me, but it looks like that he uh, is going to try to make the Olympics. And which, which is the end of his Ironman career, because he's basically late 30s now. Well, it's only one more year. He'll be 36 if he comes back to it the year no, after. No, no, I looked at it. He was like 39. I thought he was a bit younger. Yeah, wait, let's, let's have a look. Okay, let me have it. Yeah, have it, Gomez. No, I it says 35 on this part, this website. Oh, let me look at Wikipedia. 35-year-old Gomez is wrong. Has over for the time being, his long-distance project. Yeah, uh, but let's, okay, let's say even if he is 35. So currently he is, okay, so he is 35. He's about to turn 36. So yeah. Olympics is another basically year and a half away. So then he's got to oh, qualify. Olympics for, not this year. It's the year after. Yeah, you're right. And then he's got to qualify for Kona for the. So it's not going so to get there 2021. Mm. So he is going to be 39. He's it's not going. He's definitely not, a long shot. It's, it's, it's over. It's over. Bevan's called. It's over. <laughs> it's, it's over. Go to the TAB. Go to your bookies. Put your money on Gomez never winning an Ironman well, again. And it's a really interesting decision because how competitive you think he's going to be at the Olympics? Well, he has to have things have to roll his way. So I think he's got a chance. But it's a very slim chance. So it comes down to a running race and a pack of 40 or 50. Uh, it's 
pretty hard to think that he's going to beat Mola and a few of the other fellas. He's there or thereabouts. He's not off the pace. And there's going to be some young up and coming in the next year and a half. But his trump card is he's a fantastic swimmer. So if he can get a breakaway, then he's got a chance. Um, whether a breakaway survives, the ITU changes quite rapidly from year to year. If all of a sudden you got three amazing swimmers come through and they pull a really good bunch away, get away and Richard Murray and Moller and are in the second pack, he's got a realistic chance. Okay. Do you think he had a higher chance of winning Kona or an Olympic gold medal? Hmm. Hmm. I reckon... Great question. You've never had you since had to think. I reckon I'd put, I, I would sit exactly with the fence post up my ass on that one. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> he does it every day. Yeah. Uh, I reckon that's a real 50-50 call because... I think I think Kona. There's yeah. a higher chance. I don't think he's got much of a chance of winning. Like you, I know what you're saying. If all, the cards, if all the cards go in the right favour. Yeah. But even then, it's, that's, if you had to put your house on it, you wouldn't do it. Yeah. So a- I th- and it'd be pretty high odds even if you were betting. I don't him. think he can win either. But I think there's a higher chance he could win Kona. Slightly. 51-49. Yeah. So, so I just think it's interesting because I, obviously Iron Man didn't do it for him. And he might not have enjoyed it. We've seen that with Brownlee. We've heard from some people doesn't necessarily enjoy it that much. And it's, that's one of the really interesting discussions, isn't it? That <clears throat> when we think of the in the modern era, when we think of the legendary I two athletes, mm. really, Frodo's the only guy who's done it. You bring this up all the time, and I keep uh, keep bringing one or two up. Real legendaries. Uh, well, yeah, who's real? Also, Chris, Chris McCormack. Uh, he wasn't legendary in ITU. He was. He was not. He was legendary for a year and a he half. He won a world championship. Yeah. No, no, he, he, I wouldn't put up him absolutely legendary. Yeah, no, he wasn't. But right, he's right. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, right, yeah. right. And him and Crowe, you could say, were both good athletes. No, Crowe was nowhere near as good. Okay, so, so my Crow, argument. Crowe's out, out the back door. Mac, uh, Mac wasn't legendary. Mac came on board, won the world championship, had a couple of good years, and then after the Olympics, <laughs> see you later. Yeah, no, he was you know he was good for quite a while. He was good for a good few years. Uh, who else? Oh, I've got to pluck them out now. I do this all the bloody time. Mick is a legendary uh, athlete. Michaele Jones. Oh, uh, yeah, the girls. On the girls. Um, on Even the, in the girls, who are they? Michaele? Uh Karen Smyers won once, but nobody. But went that's down older. That's in, older era. Yeah, nobody. Not too many went down in legendary status. But um, back to Gomez. I'm proving myself right. Lost today, and I'm 2019 to my year team. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see how game, what Gomez does. He does need the cards to fall in his favour and things to change. Because if it comes down to a running race, I don't think he stands a chance of winning. It'd be competitive, but not winning. What's the course like? Well, that's the thing. I'm pretty sure it's flat. So then he's screwed. Well, you need a, you need a big breakaway in the swim and some luck. I mean, when you've got Wales. a team of three, you get somebody to take down the bunch, you're away. Okay. Yeah. Spaniards got a good team of three? That's that's a, it, pro- that's a problem. You've got Mola. Uh, that, that will make the Spanish team very diverse. You've got a runner. You've got an all-rounder, Gomez, and then you have somebody else. Who's are you going to put a domestique in there to get Mola up to the front, uh, screwing Gomez. Gomez, or is it every man for himself? John, don't you love the Olympics? Mm. Lo- I Wales has sold out, and you know I'm not surprised really because, and it's good to hear that I Wales has sold out because it's not your pancake flat race; it's a challenge, and and um, 
Oh, who is it? The our Welsh um, James Thomas. James Thomas. The Red Rocket. The Red Rocket. He, he said, and he's unwrote, and he said he still feels Ironman Wales is a better race. That's why I wanted to bring this up in the news because other races sell out, and we don't make a song and dance about when Ironman Germany sells out. But as Bevan said, Wales is not that I've done it, but I've seen the footage. It's friggin' hard course, yeah. uh, and I'm just loving that people are going there. You know, when you go to Rote, it's got the history, it's fast. You go to Frankfurt, similar sort of stuff. Oh, Rote's got the crowds as well. Rote's got the crowds. So Rote is amazing, but um, for this race, it's really, really challenging you selling out. Good on you, Poms, and everybody else who's going over there and not just worried about your time. You're actually going for the experience. You're going for a tough, challenging day at the office. So nice work, everybody that's entered. And also, um, the Red Rocket did say it was a similar kind of feel to, like lots of people, yeah. the towns really get into it. So that's kind of good stuff as well. Okay, uh, what other piece of news we've got here? John, we had a few results happen over the summer season or the winter, depending on where you are in the world. But uh, Tauranga Half, Mike Phillips took it out, and Hannah Wells. This is a, sort of our, been our premier half Ironman for a long time in New Zealand. Uh, they had their 30th anniversary, so I think Mike Phillips put in his post the race is older than him. Uh, but it's great to see we've got a Kiwi fella now that's turned lots and lots of second places and third places into consistent wins now. So uh, good to see. And Hannah, Hannah Wells is a good up-and-comer as well. Yeah, it's pretty good stuff there. Also, we had... Uh Pucon? I always get this wrong. We or every year we get this wrong. So start the emails in now. Start the Facebook post. Either Pucon or Pusan seventy point three. And Barbara Riveros is just killing this race. How many times she won it, Bevan? Record fifth time at her home country seventy point three last weekend. So good on her. And on the male side of things, Santiago Ascendo took that out by three minutes over Andy Potts. Okay, we all How's Andy Potts, please. Okay, I reckon he's... F- okay, make your prediction. Oh, no, he can't be... Are you 40s? Well, I reckon he's going to be 40. Okay. Andy I'm Potts. going 40. 40 or 41. Okay, okay. Well, well, you can't say 40 or 41. I'll go 40. No. 41? No. 39? No. 38? No. 43? 42. <laughs> <laughs> Got everything bad. I thought he's not the same age as me. Yeah, it's 42. 42. Born on December 28th, uh, 1976. Uh, so I'm younger than Potts. Yeah. Jeez, that's pretty. He's, he's still kicking it too. He's, yeah, he, and the nice thing about Andy Potts, he's a good guy of the sport, isn't he? Mm-hmm. You know what? You, you even talk to him. He's got good energy for everyone. He's a yeah. lovely guy. He's always been a yeah. He's been a really good ambassador, and obviously the last part of his career, but still rocking it out, cranking it. Yeah, I've uh, got a few races coming up, Israel man. What, while we do this, look up where he got in Kona last year because you see he's at the last part of his career, but he had a bloody good race in Kona last okay, year. Israel Man is coming up this race this weekend in uh, Elliot in uh, Israel. 1,300 metres of climbing on the bike, so a big climb early on and then it kind of rolls. Uh, the big thing I always chuckle about with this race is you start the run. First half uh, for the full is downhill, 600 metres downhill. Apparently it is an absolute quad killer so that's coming up uh, this weekend uh, ITU doesn't kick off until uh, Abu Dhabi in March um, but for you guys that are struggling your way through winter and you're looking forward to something to watch on the trainer Super League is coming up it's still a few weeks away but February 23rd uh, they're going to have Super League Singapore which uh, should have a, a good field because uh, people will be leading into the start of the ITU season in Abu Dhabi if you recall from the end of last season you know the field was good, but you didn't have an 
all the rock stars there, but I'd imagine a few more will be coming out of the woodwork. It's just funny looking at the results from Kona last year, right now. And I know it's it's still not that long ago, but you would never have picked the top ten. Oh no, you know, you know, Langer. Arnold. I mean, I would have picked Langer for the win. I think like <laughs> nobody else said, but I was I was going. He's got it. He's got it. <laughs> You're full of crap. Yes, <laughs> uh, but Arnott's McDonnell, O'Donnell. Like who would have picked O'Donnell to come in fourth? Mm-hmm. You know, Curry. Curry was mentioned. He was yep, up there. Definitely. And fifth is probably where you thought Matt Russell. Like who? Who would have yeah. ever put him in the top ten? Uh, Joe Skipper had a great race. You know, yeah. you know, Joe had that in him. Yeah. But you know, with the field that was there, Andy Potts got eighth. Solid. Kim Worth and then Michael Vice. What a what a fascinating race that was last year, wasn't it? Yeah, a lot of big names not there. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Uh, um, also I, with Super League, uh, oh they, yeah, of course. they continue to expand a little bit, so they've now got a race in Bali. A pro qualifier. So yeah, so they've got a couple of these now, and so they're actually now, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens, because now they're turning into more of an events company, yep. whereas the first couple, it's not gimmicky, but it's easy to put on, a, not easy, it's easier to put on a couple of races and do a really good job of them but to start pumping out more and more races keeping that level of quality really high you know it's going to be difficult what, I, what i'm curious about is does it still sell to tv because like to joe public they don't know who the rock stars are you know what i mean like someone who just turns on sky on a sunday afternoon and it's got some triathlon on mm. this pro qualifier to get to you know yep. the proper races, um, that, that sells to TV. It's good on them. Well, I think the racing needs to be of a good quality, and so that's the thing. If you don't actually have the rock stars there, and you have a bunch of guys who are second level guys, it could still be really awesome racing. Yeah, and so that's so what it's happened. Entertaining, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. In, in Australia, when they had the the F one series, which is almost exactly the same. They were good athletes, but it was really close. You'd normally have Greg Welsh, Brad Bevan, etc., winning, Hamish. but it was pretty close. Yep. So as long as the racing's good, uh, yes, I think it's got a, a good chance. But these races, like here, they've got one in Poland, they've got one in, uh, they were supposed to have one in Penticton, it got canned this year, but they are qualifiers. So I think it's the first two males and females then get a slot into the championship races which is the the ones we see in Malta, Jersey and what we're going to see in Singapore so they are expanding um, and yeah I'm just going to be interested to see how this how this really evolves and the sustainability of the model they're looking at. But to me if they can get those that level race on TV that's good profit for them mm. you know if they, like I'm not sure if they're making money but that's where the money is isn't it TV? Well TV and then getting Thousands of people, age groupers, turning up and racing. Yeah. John, yeah. this is total random, yes. out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Left field comment. Mm-hmm. A website popped up, read it, while I was kind of, <laughs> when you were talking. I was wondering what website, yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, today I learned, today I learned, today I learned that slot machines make more money in the United States than baseball, movies, and theme parks combined. Mm. Not. I think that is surprising. That shocks me. I wouldn't have ever picked that. But I'm staggered. So through triathlons, through the gaming trusts in New Zealand, we apply for money for for grants for things like traffic management, water safety, and we get you know a reasonable amount of money. And we're just a little triathlon club. And you think the amount of money we get, yeah, and the millions and millions these in little old New Zealand. That doesn't surprise Don't me. Don't get porno started because porno doesn't like the old funding of sport through gambling. It's one of those things. It's Catch-22, isn't it? It's there. Do you take a, do you 
yeah, I understand what he's saying. Yeah, because <laughs> it is a poor person's text in many ways. Yeah. Anyway, um, we have the first serious Ironman coming up in the first weekend of March, and it's good old Ironman New Zealand. It's going to be a good time, so not much Ironman. Have they got much of the field out there yet? Uh, haven't really looked into it, but um, I know Mike Phillips is going to be racing. Terenzo will be there. Terenzo will be there. Cam? Um, pretty sure Cam Brown, he's had a little bit of a calf tear, but he's been still training pretty hard. Um, Meredith Kessler is coming down to do Challenge Wanaka, so I assume she'll be racing again. Um, so yeah, I had a ride with Laura Siddell before Christmas. and I oh, think she she's Sorry? She get her up here. It should do. She's yeah. just gone back to. She's gone on a training camp the next couple of weeks. Oh, Laura, um, but yeah, so uh, I think it's going to be some diff- interesting strategies this year with pros. I think with the new qualifying system. Oh, what do you think? There's a bit of the old. You don't want this. Well, one. it's one of those things. If, if Kona is your big focus and you're not in first place, what do you do? See you later, Adagata. John. Now you sent through this link, and I and I looked into it, but I, I couldn't because I think they must have taken down the original post. So, oh, really? Iron Girl gets quite a reaction in the UK. So, tell me about what what you saw, and I and then I kind of interpret what I saw. So, uh, this is just one of those quite entertaining, and I'm not. Hopefully, I don't offend anybody here. Here we go. Uh, quite <laughs> That's entertain- a good way to start a sentence. Quite entertaining when companies don't necessarily read the market correctly and just put their foot in it big time. Okay, so what happened? So Iron Man have introduced Iron Girl at um, so yeah, let, let me paint the scenario to you, Bevan. So okay. Iron Man UK, it's um, I think I think this was at Bolton, and they've just announced we're going to do Iron Girl a five k challenge. So so what is it? Just a run? Five k run okay. like two days before the race called okay. Iron Girl. Yep. Would you? How would you? Would you get? Why would I be offended by that? Well, so the post here, people just went nuts in the UK because the females were, again, I'm probably going to offend people here because I just find this interesting in different markets how it works differently. Everybody's saying, hey, we're women and we can do a full race as well. No problem having a 5K, but why don't you have a 5K for males and females instead of patronising us saying that we can only handle a 5K and we can go do an Ironman. So they've interpreted that Iron Girl means you're a weaker... It's just it's in the interpretation. Oh, it really is, isn't it? Which I find... Interesting, and again, I'm, hopefully I'm not offending people here, because it, it wrote, they have a female's 5K over there. Massively popular, they get thousands but, along So is that. it the wording that's the problem? I think it is, and, and I just it came across as being patronising, and that's what pissed, this thread, it just went nuts, like people were really laying well, they, they actually haven't taken it down, I looked further down, I saw another post, which I thought may have been it, but they've actually gone down, but yeah, 800 posts. Yeah, <laughs> it did not go down. Go high, uh, go high uh, here we go. Anna, Kate, Louise, Jaden, go home, Iron Man. You're drunk, patronising at its best. Do you think I'll cope with this? I mean, I've done seven four Iron Mans. Will that be enough for me to finish without my uterus falling out? <laughs> <laughs> just uh, say it how you think it. So it was. She got 1,400 likes. Really? <laughs> yeah. So we're chauvinistic pig males. Well, no, no. I, I get the. I, I get it. But I and and I and I. Go, why wouldn't you just have a 5k? Why do you have to call it an Iron Girl 5k? Just have a supporters 5k. I I understand why it's so patronizing. So, Iron Girl is a bad brand name, is basically what they're saying. Yeah, and I agree with them. And I kind of do, really, because if we're saying Iron Man represents you do this hardcore thing, and then Iron Girl means, oh, you just do the injury race. Yeah. I can see how it's interpreted that way. Yeah, it was, uh, and I don't, I just don't get why you'd have it. It's like saying, 
It, it is just a men's thing and the girls but if, are just but, long for... Okay, but, but if they have a, a female's 5K fun run, is it okay? Well, why don't you have a 5K fun run? Yeah, I kind of agree, but... Yeah. So but, I, but, but they had, they had the wheat books. Um, I mean, the special K triathlons in New Zealand, they were massively popular. Mm-hmm. And they weren't... They, they were one six races? Yes. And have there been men's races? There's been one or two. Like yeah. we had was a series in Christchurch that did have... They did used to have a women's race and then they did have a blokes try. I think that's... A little bit different. This is when it's on the same day, same weekend, saying everybody who isn't racing is basically just a female wag along yeah. and coming along, and you can handle five k. So I totally get how people have been patronised, but I didn't, didn't, wouldn't have expected quite that vigorous a reaction. But I totally do agree with it. That why don't you just have a five k, not a iron girl? And then, but then at the same time, because we do bag bag um, Iron Man for doing. Uh, patronising things like this one uh, challenge thing that pissed me off this week so they've got the championship which is their version of the 70.3 oh, oh, sorry sorry they've got to get rid of the Iron Girl now don't they that, that's really fascinating isn't <laughs> yeah. it that's really because they've put a lot of money into that brand mm. Iron Girl is, is, is you know they've, they've, but it's dead but then there how were can, some comments on? there were some comments on there of people supporting it saying it was wicked why did the, the Iron Girl here and running down the finish shoot was, was a really cool yeah, experience but, but, but they're screwed yeah, yeah. That's really, someone. Someone. First day of January and twenty first of Jan, the quick blue day because it's a depressing day. Whoever's looking after Iron Gill, <laughs> your job is to find a new name. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So sorry. Uh, challenge. We're giving so, Challenge a hard time. Yeah, because they've got the championship, which they're, they're sort of billing, and they had a great race over there, especially on the pro side of things. It does seem to be getting some momentum in terms of a pro field. Um, who was that? Who was that? Keenley and it was Keenley and Sanders yeah. had a fantastic battle this year. As did uh, I remember Lucy Charles did an amazing race on the female side. But what they've done here, it's called the championship. So you're trying to build it up. Get yep. some prestige around it. You know, you've got to qualify for this if you're an age grouper. But then they go, the Challenge Family wants to reward those uh. loyal athletes who maybe weren't lucky enough, you could read that, good enough, to be at the top of the result list with special lottery slots. They'll be available to any age group athlete who participates in three or more challenge races, either middle distance, long distance, or single relay. Single relay uh, within the qualification period, the championship ending the 31st of May 2019. These loyalty slots are available to any age group athletes, regardless of their finish time, age, gender, or position. You're not happy about loyalty, are you, John? You hate loyalty, don't you? Yeah, my loyalty. I just think if you're calling something a championship, and then you're just going, anybody who finishes three races can go and do it. Yeah. Like, bloody hell, the the ranking system and all that, that's bad enough, but this is just, oh, I don't know. Well, the thing is with these guys is that the championship probably not selling out yet, is it? No, not at all. Yeah, so the, it's just getting bums so, on seats. Whereas in Kona, those that's that's the golden ticket. So, mm. but we're going to be consistent, don't we, John? We do. We have to be consistent. So there you go. So there we go. So the challenge, pull up your socks. If you're going to make a championship, accept that you're going to have a smaller field, and uh, and that's it. Okay, but what if it's not viable until you, until for a few years? Get a big TV company to bloody take it, take it on, and get some more sponsors. Okay, well, that's easy done because Collins Cup did that really well, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think we think we'll see that in 2019? I was actually I was going to look that up today because I l- did look it up at the end of last year. Nothing happening there. Okay, this week's discussion, John. So we did a discussion about five years ago that we may go back to today. <laughs> uh, what uh, what did you watch on the trainer? Jeepers creepers. No, it's, it's more trying to 
just create oh, a bit of a sharing. library of content okay. here for what people are watching, what you enjoy and what you'd recommend to other people. Do you watch movies? I do not watch movies. But I lots only, of people would, I imagine. They do. And there's been lots of, uh, I'm just trying to find the post in here, lots Lots of people do watch movies or they sort of Netflix things. I don't tend to watch programs. I watch the odd documentary. I tend to just watch uh, sport because don't have to concentrate too hard. I'm you know want to be able to focus on the the workout. Um, but yeah, horses of courses. So if you do want to go and check out, um, you know we've got about 30, 30 or forty odd comments here. Uh, there's a bunch of things. A couple here, uh, Kenneth Henney. Just he looks at the power meter. No Netflix out there uh, in a race. Hashtag mental strength. Good old Nick Rose goes out partying because he puts on MTV or Clubland music channels and zones out, concentrating on TV as a distraction. Party time. So we're not doing very well with our suggestions here. Oh, wait, wait, wait. What about good old Craig Miskin's Lord of the Ring trilogies? Jeez, that's, that's a long ride. It would be. Uh, Lucy Francis, I'm learning uh, German, so I watch German programs on YouTube and will listen to podcasts about the language and the culture itself. This makes turbo sessions far more motivating as I'm trying body and mind on different things, a bit like that crazy game where they box and then play chess in between bouts. Oh, really? Yeah. Good old Grant Petrie, who's got the gladiators, a great on cold winter mornings. Has a great film. Unleash Hell! Clyde Rosanowski, watch all the episodes of The Wire. Uh, you'll be on the trainer for weeks. Have you seen The Wire? No. Oh, The Wire is brilliant. But it sounds like I'll be a, a big watch in front of me. Yeah, no, I'm... it's pretty good. Pretty good. I'll do one more, John. I'm going to say... Um, uh, Will Newbury. I've watched things like Game of Thrones, Lost, and Prison Breaks before. Things that you don't have to be 100% focused on but can still enjoy. Also reruns of Conan and other Iron Man races. Now I tend to just listen to music. I've got two more that I'm going to do. Uh, Ross Welton, uh, I second CrossFit Games, but you can't beat Aussie Surf Ironman. Just awesome. All the different formats, etc., like Super League Try. If you haven't ever watched any of that, um, look up Uncle Toby's Surf League or I don't know what it's called now, but try to find some of that. It is really good watching. Do you mean the beach stuff? Yeah. Oh, that is entertaining, isn't it's it? It's called, they call it Ironman as well. Yeah. They get away with it because it's not, competition um there must be there must be some legal agreement but hey must be because yeah. over like in for a long time like in australasia i mean would be thought of mainly as that wouldn't it yeah so so the, their format for people that have never watched any surf before is they do kayaking but it's all through the waves um board paddling so then you're on your knees on a board paddle uh swimming and a bit of a run, and a bit of running along the beach and there's lots of lead changes because it depends on where you catch, catch the waves really good watching then the other one i was going to mention nikki sweetman uh said eco challenge you can normally get five oh, times yeah. 45 minute episodes per event can't say i've ever watched any um, not recently anyway pretty hard to complain about a few hours on a wind trainer when these guys are out there for days upon days with no sleep okay this week's discussion oh John what do you like to watch uh, as I said I generally just watch sport uh, lots of cycling um, I tend to watch like just watch stages where it's the last hour to two hours of stages do you know the results uh, I quite often try not to find out cycling results like for example the tour of um, Tour Down Under has just finished yesterday how did the Kiwi go uh, I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, yeah, well, you, you but, gonna, but I do know the result of that. But I don't know the how how it unfolded. So yeah, sometimes I know the results, um, and then a lot of try stuff. But generally, a lot of cycling. I, I, I'm kind of with most people in saying, well, I, I can't judge because I don't do training sessions. 
Because back in the old days, training session was pretty, bloody horrible because you didn't have mm. all the tech to work, make it work. And I, I remember I once tried to do a three-hour session I tried to watch TV and that was just, why did I even try? Uh-huh. I could do three hours, but it was just pointless training. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, you've got such great tools, so it'd be interesting to see. I, I'd need something that, yeah, I don't know. Depends on the session, I suppose, doesn't it? Mm. Like if it's just a long session. Then I might watch a movie. But, yeah. um, but if you're trying to do a quality session. Yeah, I've got to concentrate. Yeah, so... Depends on the session, I suppose. Uh, this week's discussion, what are going to be the mistakes? Okay, what common mistakes do you make in races that you're going to make? Uh, not work- going to make Oh, this that you're not year. going to make this year. So it's your work-ons for 2019 mm. is the question we want to see. So how are you going to be, at the end of this year, you're going to go, oh, back in 2018, I used to do this. Nowadays. Not doing it this year. Yep, there we go. Sponsor. Extreme endurance. Out, I'm going to tie this in with, uh, with our discussion of the week a little bit here. Oh. So, did my first race of the season uh, Friday night. And Friday went night out, race. Friday night racing. And went out training Saturday, Sunday. No pain in the legs because I cranked up my what extreme endurance for, for a couple of days. Did the Lake Crichton Triathlon. Um, and one of the things, my work-ons there were, as I've... I've got really lazy and crap with my transitions and I said to myself, I'm not doing a shit transition at this race. And I did two really quite good transitions. I was quite happy with myself. Not accepting shit transitions this year. Um, so that was one part. But then made sure I was on the extreme endurance uh, leading into the race. I only went on it... Uh, we came back from Kiteri on Wednesday, so this is a Friday race. This was Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. I was out training Saturday, did a big bike ride on Sunday, a quality ride on Sunday, and you know, extreme endurance was a really big part of my preparation and recovery because then I just was able to bounce back a lot quicker afterwards, and also I do generally feel it gives me a nice little boost on race day as well. So we have got a new promo code coming out next oh. week. It's good for the European sites you can use the promo code IMTALK25 oh. try to figure out how much discount you get with that back it up so it's, it's good to go on the European site uh, for the dot coms uh, just wait one more week and it should be good to go so check that out that is a fantastic discount we got an email just before Christmas well, we might use it as an ad but someone was just raving about it mm. it was like it changed my life <laughs> yeah, no. So, got any races coming up? Especially, I know a lot of Northern Hemisphere, well, Southern Hemisphere athletes, your key races will be coming up, whether it be in Australia, New Zealand, or South Africa. Um, Northern Hemisphere athletes, I know a lot of you guys might be starting to ramp up your training for those spring marathons. If you've got running races coming up, check it out, xendurance.com. And for European athletes, use promo code IAMTALK25. US athletes, one more week will be there. Okay, John. Xendurance.com. Check it out. There's got some special stuff coming. So maybe hold off a week. If we're in the US. Yes. Hold off a week. Okay, John. Uh, so this week, website oh, of the week. week. So website of the week this week is good old tryrating.com because one of the things he has on there was the fast races from last year, wasn't it? It is. So, I mean, it's not really... Often website of the week is a, is a new site that we're sort of bringing to you guys, but just wanted to bring up, if you've got a bit of time on your hands and you want to check out some of the... or relive some of last year, uh, Torsten has got the updated Ironman's fastest times for 2018. He's got the um, fastest swim times, the fastest bike times, fastest run times, fastest overall times. And uh, we're not going to go through them all, but just a, a couple of little highlights. But Ironman Hawaii often doesn't make this list because mm. of the conditions. So these aren't the weighted times that he does elsewhere. These are actually 
what the times were. Um, and he has got uh, little asterisks next to the Ironman Texas because uh, there was a controversy about the, you know, the, the drafting, especially, uh, no, I won't say especially, the, the, the drafting especially in that race. Um, but he did point out Andrew Starkowitz. Yeah, who, who wouldn't have been drafting. The, the fastest yeah. ride of the year. Uh, and, 3.54. And that was, that was uh, without anybody around him. That's phenomenal. Like, like, okay, so that's the fastest time of the year. Second fastest time, 4.03. So it's nine minutes faster mm. than the second. It's, it's uh, yeah, so, so Patrick Langer still managed in Kona conditions on the run, the sixth fastest time of the year with a 2.41. Wow. It's mind-blowing. It is, if you haven't been to Kona before, it is just really, really hot and shitty place to run. And it's not a flat run. It's not flat, and he's got the sixth fastest time of the year. Jeez. And not by much. Jan Fredino, fastest time of the year, 2.39, only two minutes, well, it's closer to three minutes quicker. It was two and a half minutes quicker uh, at Ironman Germany. Pretty awesome. So if you want to kind of geek out on, you know, go into details and all this, check out chorin.com. I'll put a link to it in the show notes for this week, Jonbo. We've got an interview coming up. So interview with Dr. Paul Wood. Dr. Paul Wood has a pretty fascinating story. He spent uh, the first quarter of his life in jail for a pretty serious crime. We actually talk about that. And then turn his life around, become a... a uh, psychologist and is doing some pretty amazing work and uh, I just geek out I love it it's a really good interview so um, and pretty honest it's pretty full on at times so you guys enjoy this, this is Dr. Paul Wood okay. okay team I'm pretty excited to have uh, Dr. Paul Wood on the show he's the guy who's done some first of all he's got an amazing backstory pretty pretty fascinating backstory and is a real example of how you turn a life around but then has really spent kind of the second half of his life or, or from a certain point on in his life kind of growing people and developing people and, and you know to me that I always find that pretty fascinating so first of all welcome along to the show Paul. Oh pleasure to be here. Um, where do we start? Maybe maybe just give the backstory and I know I, I know in your world you probably know you know it's kind of tape play kind of experience for you but just you know so the audience because this is quite a global audience just give us a little bit of your backstory around uh, where you started and where you got to and how it all happened. Okay, so, uh, look, and I do think it's it's relevant because it gives people a good idea about why I'm so passionate about trying to help other people strive towards their potential. Uh, so I didn't start off as a positive contributing member of society at all. I grew up and my experience of growing up was you now getting some pretty strong messages from society and uh, from my peer group and from people I associated with that what it meant to be a man basically was to be able to solve your problems with violence and that the measure of the man was the capacity for violence and that as a man you should always be able to stand on your own two feet, never need help or support from anyone and you shouldn't feel any emotions you'd associate with vulnerability or weakness. And uh, I grew up expecting to join the infantry at 18. That would have been living the dream for me, join the army and then you know if, if, if everything aligned, getting into SAS. So that's what I sort of grew up expecting to do. And that in of itself, while I think it's a very uh, honourable career, it is also a, a pro-violence sort of orientation, right, from a pretty young age. Uh, and we grew up doing martial arts. That was the sort of sports we were involved in, myself and my brothers. And when I hit my teenage years and I found myself experiencing all these emotions I didn't think I was supposed to have as a man, thought there was something wrong with me, thought there was something broken about me, and certainly didn't have the tools to be able to cope with those distressing, unpleasant emotions, you know, the fear, the anxiety, all of that sort of stuff. And in part, as a result of that, got further and further into drug use to not have to face the reality of those emotions, to not have to deal with them. 
And I grew up in a, a what at the time was an area which had some pretty antisocial people, you know, um, multi-generational or intergenerational crime families, that sort of stuff, gang families. And those were the people I hung out with. And one of the things we know, of course, about teenagers is that the peer group is a, is a heavy influence in terms of you know what you consider to be right or wrong or normal behavior. And we know that most people will engage in some type of sort of uh, rule-breaking or questionable behavior as teenagers, but because the group of people I were hanging out with were people who you know, were doing burglaries and um, hitting people with weapons and that sort of stuff, that was more sort of the normal behavior for me. And uh, when I was 18, uh, my mum died. She had been the only sort of potential source of softness and support in my life, and she was someone whose impending death was something I was really struggling to deal with. A couple of days after that, I chose to catch up with a drug dealer. Uh, and as a result of the conflict that happened during that meeting, they ended up dead and I ended up in prison for the next uh, nearly 11 years. Can so I went in an eight. Can pause there? What's that like? Which, <laughs> which well, aspect? Well, you know, when, you've, when, you, when you know someone's, you know, and you're the cause of someone's death, what's how, mm. that like? Yeah. Conflicting, eh? Very conflicting. Because what you do, like, so say, for example, he had um, uh, attempted to attack me to sexually assault me in my house and, and I had killed him. But I had definitely chosen to end his life when I didn't need to. Okay. There was a point where I could have let him leave the house. Right? No question about it. But instead, I chose to end his life. Mm. But, of course, what you do naturally is you want to avoid that sort of level of accountability, right? So... I spent a lot of time feeling like I was the victim, minimizing, rationalizing, justifying my own behavior to avoid really having to try and confront the reality of going, you know, at the end of the day, whatever mitigation, whatever excuses you can come up with, I chose to end this guy's life. Uh, so I think that's, you know, that's a pretty sort of heavy burden to bear. Oh, my God. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, you know, it's it's a burden that's made significantly lighter by living a, a, a redemptive life now in terms of trying to make a positive contribution. I think that's that's one of the things that I always really try to focus on is if you feel guilty about something, you know, the best thing to do with that is to alleviate that guilt and demonstrate the remorse you feel through the actions that you take today, mm-hmm. you know, through your behavior there's not a whole lot of benefit for anyone in spending your time sort of looking back, wringing your hands to the extent where it actually stops you from being able to do anything redemptive now and really sort of grow and learn. Um, it was a, a traumatic experience too, of course, you know, um, uh, that sort of level of, I suppose, the severity of that kind of combat, I want to say, or not combat, but, you know, um, just clash and yeah, violence, you know, is, is a traumatic thing to experience. I think from either side, I think you'd have to be a, you know, a real psychopath not to be troubled by that. Mm. Uh, if you did end up being the person who was on the, the less severe end of it. And I definitely think uh, earlier on after that, I had symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, hypervigilance, nightmares, all of that sort of stuff. But I actually think coming out the other end of it now, uh, I would consider myself someone who's experienced post-traumatic growth. Now, just about all of us have heard of post-traumatic stress disorder, right? PTSD. 
But what very few of us realize is actually an equal number of people who go through incredibly traumatic experiences. And most people will experience trauma in their life. The research suggests about 75% of people will report that they've experienced strong trauma in their lives. Whatever that means for different people is different, but that's what the rates are. But an equal number of people who will come out at risk of PTSD in the long term will actually come out the other side experiencing post-traumatic growth. And this is where they look back on it and they go, you know what, that was such a terrible experience, but I actually feel that I've grown as a person as a result of that. So while I really didn't enjoy it, while it was terrible, while it was traumatic, I actually feel that I'm better off as a result of that experience. Now, this is really interesting because if you're aware of post-traumatic growth as an option, that actually provides an inoculating effect against PTSD. Because what happens is, is that if you're someone who's experiencing trauma and all you're aware of is the potential long-term consequences of this and impact of you. It actually makes it more likely that that will happen. Yeah. Whereas you're aware that post-traumatic growth is an option, then it's more likely you'll be able to hold on to that and that will actually help you cope more effectively with the trauma as you experience and have less severe long-term outcomes. This is why it's one of the things the US military does now to help prepare combat uh, troops in order to help inoculate them against PTSD is just making them aware of post-traumatic growth. Uh, my only regret around it, of course, is that, of course, there were lots of other people who had incredibly negative experiences because of my actions. So in the interest of my growth and learning, there are a whole lot of other people who were hurt by that. So that's where my regret would sit, not in terms of anything I experienced subsequent to that or, or, or related to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. It's kind of that thing of... Um, uh if you can actually find the right approach, something that's so traumatic can actually, and then you consciously are aware of it, it can actually make you move through it with more purpose and a much better direction in your life instead of kind of being stuck in that victim mentality and this defines my life and, and leads my path forward. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's an interesting one. Like one of the things I talk to people a lot about these days is that stress is not actually a negative to be avoided. It's a challenge to be embraced. Mm -hmm. And it's actually through stress and through the pressure and the cognitive load, the emotional load of stress, that you have the opportunity to really actually unlock your potential and grow. I mean, you'll appreciate this because you're a sporting analogy, uh, sorry, your sporting background, but I use sporting analogy all the time about lifting weights. You know, you don't get strong lifting the easy weights. You get strong from putting in an appropriate load, appropriate level of resistance against yourself, against your muscles, and that's what prompts regeneration and growth. The same is true psychologically. You know, we don't grow as people. We don't unlock our potential by being in our comfort zone, by having an easy, stress-free time of it. We actually want to step into that right level of resistance and stress and adversity because that's what enables us to grow. The analogy, though, though, does carry on in terms of what you talk about in the weights. You know, you don't want to be crushed doing a bench press because you've got weights that aren't the right weight for you that are too heavy or you're pre-fatigued, or you don't have a spotter or whatever it is. And it's the same in terms of the way we embrace stress and pressure and adversity. You know, the right level is going to be really beneficial, but we can end up injuring ourselves psychologically if the weight's too too um, a big a load to bear. But a big part of that as well is about how do you conceptualize that experience? Think about this. Imagine if you found yourself saying, um, let's say let's say running, right? So you've done what have you done? You've done Ironman, that sort yeah. of thing, right? Yep. Okay. So how long how long would a training run be in preparation for an Ironman? Oh well, like if you're doing a for a, 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 a big yeah. day, an Ironman, God, you'd be out yeah. there for eight, eight hours. God, you know, like you know, for yeah. really crazy stuff. Okay. Now, how is it that you're able to persevere 
through eight hours worth of exercise. How, how is that possible? What keeps you going psychologically? Um, I think I think it's that you've built experience that tells you you can. So you have a history that's built up to that level. That's a really important part of it. Um, you've just learned really good strategies, to be honest. So you've kind of, you know, like, you know, okay, well, if long, like I'm going to do another six-day bike ride and I'm going to find some podcasts that are going to help entertain me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to use some motivators that are going to work for me. So you kind of just have these tools that you've kind of worked. You might get a training buddy along. Um, you Also, you're kind of like, like, we used to do these things called epic camps, which were like 14 days basically eight hours a day, eight to 10 hours a day of training, just stupid shit. Um, but you kind of also go, and it's kind of what you're talking about with stress, you go into it going, this is where I get to learn a higher level of self. So when you're right. that level of an athlete, you're actually seeking that place. And it does take you to a place where you didn't think you could go and you actually find a, high, a newer level. So I suppose for me as an athlete, when I was doing that sport, it was kind of like, that's what I was seeking. So that made it appealing yeah. to go to that place. It wasn't. I wasn't afraid of that. That was the discovery I wanted. Right, because you can see the benefit of being there, right? Yeah, totally, because I learned higher level so, self. Right, imagine if you were out there training and you couldn't see any benefit to it. You'd just stop, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no way you'd carry on. And it's the same in terms of the stressor experience. If you can't see that there's a benefit to it, then all you want to do is avoid it, mm-hmm. right? You don't, you don't want to engage with it because it's challenging, it's distressing. Whereas actually, if you can go, you know what, this is hard, but this is beneficial, then it makes it so much easier to really engage with it in the first place, to get out of your comfort zone, to try new things, but also to persevere and then to benefit from it. But you have to see that link. And part of it as well. Yeah, go on. Oh, well, no, it's interesting because I have a recent experience around this. And because and um, one of the mindsets I have is that growth is healthy. And so if I, I should feel uncomfortable moments in my life pretty often, if you know what I mean. And, and, and that can be, you know, and one of the things you find in the fitness industry is that fitness people are really good at fitness, but they're really undeveloped outside of fitness, you know, because we get, we get put up on a pedestal because we're good at the thing that most people are bad at. So what most people in the fitness industry are really strong at fitness, but if you take a layer back and you look at the rest of their life, they're actually really lacking. Um, and so mm. while I talk about being uncomfortable, it's not just with exercise. It's, you know, I play piano, I've got business, I've got relationships. Um, but I was speaking to a lady recently and, and one of the things we discovered for her was her comfort is she her need to stay safe means she doesn't grow and we when i challenged her just to do like a park run which is a real entry level run and i and and it was like the reason you're doing it is to be uncomfortable we want you to enjoy being uncomfortable it's not i don't expect you to run it i don't you, you probably can't run the whole thing we don't expect you to be great we don't expect you to be what you were when you were younger it's you're doing this to enjoy the fact you're uncomfortable and it's kind of what you're saying there isn't it yeah, absolutely. And I mean, look, this, I think this is one of the risks as well, right? So if you get someone who has talent, has capability and has achieved a high level in any one area, such as in sports, such as in exercise, such as whatever it is, professionally, well, you, you know, maybe you they're a top lawyer or whatever, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, right? Yeah. So the difficulty there is that often what people will do is they will associate that success with you know, an enduring characteristic or trait, that fixed mindset. I mean, I know you interviewed Carol Dwight, mm. right? So absolute legend of space. And a lot of that will be because the messaging they'll get is like, oh, geez, you know, like you're so naturally talented, you're so smart, or you're so athletic, you know, you're so fit, these sorts of things, which are about reinforcing this idea that it's a fixed attribute as opposed to, wow, you've put in a lot of effort mm. into this. You know, wow, you've really worked hard on this. And so what people do then is they forget the learning process they've gone through to get to the level they are. They forget how incremental that was. And then what they do is they go, 
well, if I'm actually good at anything else, it should just be easy because this is easy for me and I constantly get feedback about how good I am at this. But because I've forgotten all of the incremental process that led to this, when I try anything new, you know, I'm just so threatened by that feeling of um, discomfort of it not being easy, of not automatically being good, that I'd rather avoid it because it risks exposing me as not being this person who I've sort of built myself up to be and who I like other people to think I am, mm. you know, this really talented, capable person. So I think that's actually one of the challenges. It's one of the reasons I love working with people who have really achieved majorly in certain areas is to try and get them uh, thinking in the way you think, which is about, you know, really, well, what is involved in getting good and how can I generalize this across into other areas of my life and recognize that I'm not going to start at the same place in different areas. You know, you're not going to go from being at the level you're at as an athlete and then all of a sudden your piano playing's like yeah, that. Am, yeah. am I correct? Yeah, and that's why I love uh, yeah, piano yeah. because I'm learning life lessons about myself which sport can't teach me because I'm kind of incompetent at it, you know, and yeah. uh, you know, and it teaches me so much more. Like, if I just kept doing sport, I wouldn't know as much about myself now than since I've added piano to my life. Yeah. You know? One of the things I also often talk to high achievers about is the real value you can get from having an activity where you're just allowed to be shut. Yeah. You just really let yourself be bad at it. You don't need to be good at it. You can take all that pressure off. Just find something where you really are allowed to be bad mm -hmm. and embrace that and really enjoy the experience of that because it's so contrary to the expectations most of us put on ourselves and all of these other areas in our lives, particularly people who are high achievers. So one thing that I find interesting, because my, my story is similar but different to yours. Basically, I was a dropkick. I turned my life around and, you know, and I've done okay. Um, but interestingly, in both of us, we learnt the lesson later in that, you know, you had to go through jail and I, and I did watch your TED talk and I kind of saw, you know, your experience was, even in jail, it was kind of a failing experience and then you had a couple of epiphany moments and then there was this kind of opening of a door and then you went through a growth pathway, which was a very small step process. And, and in many ways, my experience was very similar. Like, like I couldn't read or write and I was, you know, druggy and all the rest of it. And, and then I woke up at 20 and had some bad experiences, made me realize I needed to grow. And I went through the growth process, but it was a real beginner level. I remember in your TED talk, you talked about how, uh, you know, you've used capital letters and all your thing because you thought it was better because you basically didn't know basic writing skills. I was ignorant. Yeah, ignorant. totally. Yeah. And, um, and both of us have this thing of where we, our transformation happened a little bit later in life, but we saw the process because it happened later. And I wonder if that's an advantage we had because we kind of saw how we grew and we saw the small steps as we went along the way. And then, and then it just seemed obvious just to duplicate that as you went into different areas. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, eh? Like, I think for me, one of the things that was more beneficial for me is that because the area I study was psychology, psychology is a very reflective, uh, let's say, profession or orientation. So it's naturally built into that, the whole sort of step back, how does learning occur, all of that is part of psychology. So I'd actually say it was probably an easier easier outcome for me than, say, for yourself, right? Because, uh, I mean, I don't know enough about your background, mm. but in terms of the difference in the going into the sports and the rest of it, that's not by necessity as reflective. Obviously, the people who are the highest achievers in the sporting arena are people who engage in that kind of self-reflection. What could I do better? What could I do differently? But there's a whole lot of people who reach high-level professional sports and otherwise who really do get by on the basis of some amazing raw talent 
and enough experience to be performing at that level, but will never get anywhere near their potential because they don't have that orientation you're mm -hmm. talking about towards looking at, hey, what is involved here? And how can I take that learning and use that to get even better? Mm -hmm. So um, what are some of the common traits you see? I know, I know you've got your model, and you may want to talk about your model, but what, what are some of the, you know, obviously people come to you because they want to change. Yeah. What is, first of all, let's look at some of the barriers that are the real barriers that stop people from doing that? Okay, the, the belief that it's not possible to change is the first one. You know, you're not going to have any interest in change unless you believe it's possible to change. And as I said before, lots of people think that, uh, you know, their characteristics, their attributes, the type of person they are is some type of fixed thing. You know, they're this type of person and that's it. So, so if that's the situation, you have no interest whatsoever in change. It's interesting, like when I think about my, my business, which is primarily leadership development, organizational development, you know, working with people and organizations who want to strive towards their potential, want to turn adversity to their advantages, that sort of stuff. You can look at that and go, well, there's going to be a whole section of people who will not want to work with me because of my background. Oh, really? Do, do, do you but, yeah, okay. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But for my mind, those are the people who don't believe it's possible to change and grow anyway. So they're not the type of people who would be interested in the work I do mm. because they're the type of people who have those fixed mindsets, which means that they're never going to be really performing at the highest level possible or being able to help other people do likewise, which is what I spend my time doing. Whereas the people who believe it's possible to change tend to look at my background and go, this guy doesn't just know what he's talking about from a theoretical perspective, from an academic perspective, but he's passionate about it and he knows about it because he's experienced it himself. Yeah, he's got personal credibility so around it. Yeah, so there's kind of like a self-selection that goes on there anyway. Um, but, you know, part of the big challenge in terms of that sort of change in growth, again, is, is believing it's possible because you can have insight, for example, in terms of the areas where, you know, you're not behaving in the way you'd want your reputation to reflect or you're not, you know, demonstrating your values or it just doesn't feel right to you. But again, to have any motivation to do something about that, you need to believe it's possible to change. So, and so I think that's... So just to, to challenge this, what, what do we, because like, okay, so if someone's open to change, you, you're kind of saying that easier because, you know, you just got to give them the tools and the pathway really, don't you? Um, yeah. And then we've got the people who are fixed, you know, I'm not good at music, so I'll never learn an instrument. I, I can't uh -huh. run, you know, so I'll never try to run. Um, how do you get them to shift that? The experience of change. Okay the experience of small successes. Because I was someone like that, right? I was someone who naturally had a fixed mindset. I thought I was a certain type of person. You know, I didn't think I was someone who could succeed at education, for example. I'd been held back a year at school. I'd never got any messages at school that I was a smart person, at all mm. quite the opposite. Um, and when I started studying, it wasn't to, you know, like do a degree or anything massive. It was just to get some knowledge in an area I found interesting. But I had these small successes in terms of, you know, getting assignments back that weren't completely terrible and then passing exams that made me realize, actually, you know what, I am capable of more than I thought in this area. So I think that's the thing, right? If you can get people to buy in enough to try mm. to step out of that comfort zone just a little bit, just in really small ways, then you can give them the experience of small successes, which can help shift that perspective. But I think part of that as well is shifting the idea of what the goal is. Mm. It's like you were talking about with... Uh, the woman in the park, where you're trying to shift the goal from going, it's not about this run being easy or being able to do this. It's about actually experiencing the challenge of it. That that is the goal. Mm. And then that makes something, you know, quite different from a psychological point of view in terms of what success would look like. Mm. 
And it's the same. If you can go to someone, well, look, you know, the, the goal here is to get a little bit better. And the only measure for that is how are you yesterday, how are you right now, and how are you going to be tomorrow? That's a far more manageable focus than going, your goal is to be good at this, your goal is to be able to achieve this. Mm. And again, it goes back to that growth mindset stuff. This is one of the things I talk to people about all the time. As a human being, when it comes to, you know, trying to really strive towards your potential, you know, the pursuit of excellence in whatever area you place value on in life, your only legitimate goal is ever about getting better, not being good. Because being good, that's like a comparative measure to someone else, right? How good am I compared to you at running or lifting weights or whatever it is? Whereas if my goal is to get better, then the only legitimate comparison there is myself. And that's the only one ever because no one else has my life experiences, you know, my advantages, my disadvantages, all of those things that make me me. But also the cool thing about focusing on getting better rather than being good is getting better is about self-mastery as opposed to dominance. Mm. So let's say, for example, you know, my, uh, my sporting background is in judo. That's the sport that I've spent most of my time in. Now, I'm in my 40s now. If my goal is to be good, I'm going to find it really challenging to get beaten up by these 20-year-olds and the rest of it who are sort of like prime condition. Yeah. You youth know. on their side. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just can't compete with that sort of stuff. right? Even if I had the skill set, which I really don't, yeah. I just can't compete with that. And as I get older and older, it's going to be even less and less possible to compete with that, right? So all that's going to turn into is some kind of, you know, self-defeating exercise where the chances are is I'll just be turned off by it. I won't want to engage with it anymore. Whereas if my goal is getting better, then that's about self-mastery. And that's about finding the ways that I can constantly be improving in what I do. And other people provide an opportunity to sharpen my tools in terms of my skill set, but they're not the measure of my progress. And the great thing about that is that that goal of getting better is a lifelong goal. Whereas, again, if your goal is being good, is dominating other people, is beating other people at something, that definitely is going to have a shelf life, right? Unavoidably. Mm. So it's a tough thing to sort of place a whole lot of self-worth and value on, right? So one thing, so so one thing that's important to probably reinforce here is because you know, many people who listen to this and probably see the areas of their life where they're fixed mindset, uh, where I can't do this, so I don't even bother opening the door to it. Um, is you're kind of saying that if you are going to open your door to it, it's really important that you put the right focus in that first step because you basically got to have some success in that first step, don't you? Because if you don't have success in that first step, it just reinforces the fixed mindset, doesn't it? Yeah, but I mean, think about this though, right? That's possible. But we can even take it back further a step and go, you know what, my goal in terms of trying this new thing where there's a high risk of failure is to actually demonstrate a bit of courage and try it. Nice. That is my goal, is to demonstrate the courage necessary to try this. Whatever the consequences aren't relevant. Mm. It's just about exercising that courage. And the cool thing about courage, right, is it's like a muscle. The more I exercise it, the stronger it gets. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to look at this and go, this is an opportunity to exercise that courage muscle. The outcomes don't matter, but I've already got the benefit from just trying it. And then, of course, if there is any success, then that's going to shift and build the interest in working on that skill set, right? Mm. But at the end of the day, if there's a failure, it's not going to be seen as some kind of, oh, what the hell, I'll just you know throw everything out of the cot and just give up. It's going to be seen more as, well, okay, look, that didn't succeed, but I'll tell you what, I still succeeded in exercising that courage muscle. And who doesn't want a bit more courage, eh? Yeah. You know, the ability to do the right thing rather than the easy thing in the circumstances that, you know, are important. When you look back and measure your life at the end of your life, and all of our lives are way too brief, right, that you're going to be able to go, you know what, 
I feel that I did the right thing with my life. I made the right decisions and I did what was meaningful. You know, how you do that is by exercising courage where it's required because doing the right thing and doing the meaningful thing in life is often doing the hard thing. Mm. So I think if you could think about it like that, right, then that would be a useful way to go. I mean, one of the things when I've had the opportunity to exercise very early in the morning, one of the things I used to tell myself to help me get up early enough was, okay, first step, getting out of bed. This right now is success because this is me exercising my willpower muscle. Mm. Right. So by virtue of just getting out of bed to do this, I've already done my first workout, which is my willpower workout. And again, who doesn't want more willpower, right? Mm. So building that muscle is a really useful one as well. So you're kind of attaching kind of character traits that you admire and want to kind of evolve to those little steps that help you kind of look at it in a different perspective, which actually motivate you in those moments. Yeah, absolutely. Jeez, it's the same. Like, again, talking about that stress idea, you know, like, and I know you've got kids, right? Oh, well, she's 21. But, yeah, but, 21? Well, yeah, she's, <laughs> okay, a bit different than mine. I've got an 18 yeah, month old. You're in the deep end. I'm, I'm, she's traveling. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, someone has to be on the tail end of the bell curve where not much sleep is required, yeah. right? That's our boys. Yeah. And we're regularly, regularly up, particularly our 18-month-old is teething now. He's got his last four teeth coming through. So he is diabolical at night, right, in terms of sleeping. And I will be up, and I will be awake with him, and I will be thinking, oh, no, I've got a big day tomorrow. I've got to speak at this conference. I've got to do this and this. But then what I will do is I will literally say to myself, you know what? This is me in the mental toughness jump right now. This is me getting mentally tough right now. And as a result of that, I will stop hemorrhaging this precious resource, which is my psychological energy, you know, my emotional energy, and I'll actually be able to cope more effectively and be less impacted by it. But again, it's that ability to shift mindset and choose how you perceive your circumstances. Mm, mm, mm. And it has a massive effect on the way you're experiencing life then, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And a big part of that is around that ability to assume some sense of control over what's going on even if it's out of your control, Mm. right? So again, it's that idea that, you know, like if I choose to go to the gym and lift weights, then I'm in control of that, I'm making that choice. But if all of a sudden I found myself under a bench press with weights, right, you know, I've got a couple of choices there really, you know, and one is to just be going, oh, this is terrible, I want to get out of here. Or one is to go, okay, well, this is the circumstances, you know, I'll do the best I can in this. You know, what is in my control? What is in my power? And it's that second option that's going to have you far more effective in terms of maintaining your resilience and being able to persevere and keep doing what you need to do in a set of circumstances, right? Mm. I mean, I think one of the biggest influences for me was reading uh, Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning mm. about his experience of being in a concentration camp in World War Two, because that gives you some pretty stark uh, perspective, right? For this guy who's moment by moment in his day having to fear death um, by the Nazis, whose family has been killed, who's just around the most depraved behavior constantly, if he can still choose, you know, how he responds in those circumstances, the perspective he adopts, then, well, I mean, my life's pretty pretty sweet in comparison, right? There's Mm. no excuse for me. One in your talk, you you know, you, you talk about your steps, and, and maybe you just want to quickly introduce your kind of five steps to freedom. Just want to kind of quickly tell us about those. Okay, well, the first one is recognizing that you know the stuff you need to focus on is not the stuff in the external world. It's it's the inner game. It's what's going on in your head. If you really want to affect positive change and growth in your life, if you want to have more well being, if you want to strive towards your potential, you don't need to worry about the external world. You need to worry about the inner world. What's going on? Your thoughts and beliefs about the world. 
the emotions you experience and how you engage with those. But then there's the next step, which is actually, you know, choosing to want to do something about that. And that's where I was talking before about having to have the courage to actually want to try and make change, to risk failure, to step out of your comfort zone, and the belief that it's possible to actually grow, to get better. And then there's the, the third step, which is actually starting to take action. You know, the reality is, is there's a, a lot of us, and in fact, I'd say all of us really have this in different ways or in different shapes and speak different things where we go, oh, this would be of value to me, but I'm just so busy at the moment. You know, maybe when the kids are older or when things are easier or where circumstances are better, that's when I'll start doing this. Whereas for me, a really, really, really key component in terms of real successful change and growth is identifying what are the really small steps I can start taking right now that will lead me a long way over time. You know, the, the quote, we've all heard the quote, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? Yeah. But have you heard the full quote, which is Rome wasn't built in a day, but a brick was laid every hour. Oh, nice. Yeah. Think about how different that quote is in terms of how you interpret that. Mm. And that's what that third step's about. It's about going, well, what are the bricks? What are the small steps that I can start taking that are in my control right now, regardless of my circumstances, that will take me a long way over time? And because that's how you get anywhere. Anywhere of distance is through small steps, right? Mm. It's that incremental stuff. It's the small daily disciplines. So for me in, in prison, you know, you always hear people go, oh, when I get free, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And it's a really tangible sort of like illustration, right? Because you're incarcerated, you're in prison, and then there's this freedom, which is this future state where things will be easier. But the reality is, is the way I was able to succeed was not by focusing on some imaginary future state where things will be easier. I just said, what can I do right now? What's in my control right now? And that's really what that food, third step's about. It's about going, it's got to be focusing on me and my inner world that's going to get me the most results. You know, I need to be prepared to step out of my comfort zone there to risk failure, to believe it's possible to change. And then I need to actually start taking the action, start taking those small steps. And one of the things I talk to people about all the time and I think really uh, resonated with me in terms of how you talk about your, your running school is this idea of lowering the motivation bar. You know, you try and make it so easy to start that people yeah. can start because yeah. the start is the hard part, right? We, we call it the entry point. We, we, you know, like even when we design our, our beginner program, um, the first thing we always think of is, is what's the entry point where a, someone who's insecure has a fixed mindset around running, you know, yep. has a history that tells them they're going to fail. What's the entry point where they come on to the first session and they walk away and they win? And that's, you know, yeah. that, that's the key. Because if they come to that first session and they don't win, we've lost them. But if they come along to that first session and they win, then they'll come back to the second time. And, yeah. and then we build their kind of their stretch points so they keep having – basically, in, in their first journey, it's just keep building wins, keep building wins, keep building wins. And it is – if you get that entry point right, and we have, we've figured what that is. If you get that entry point right, then they start to – build that belief, they build their trust, they build, you know, and that's the thing. But if you don't get that entry point, and early on, I didn't necessarily get it right. And, you know, where our success rate wasn't as high. And then I kind of finally figured out, okay, there's the entry point where they come along, they have an experience, they win, they, and you see them leaving that first session. And it's very, very basic level of exercise. But oh my God, they're on top of the world. You know, it's, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's that first moment of shit, I can do it. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's so powerful. But again, you know, that entry point, right? Lowering the motivation bar enough to make it possible to start. Yeah. Because you don't ever want to be relying on motivation eh, to get your places. You want to be relying on plans mm -hmm. and really manageable, achievable plans where even if you don't feel motivated, you can still be working in a, in a positive direction. I mean, I, I listened to the uh, Anders Ericsson 
interview that you did. Yeah. And I'm familiar with his work. You know, his work's just so crucial in terms of my whole area. But I was so interested to hear him talking about how the optimal learning zone was where you're actually experiencing 50% failure yeah. in terms of skill development, right? Yeah. So think about that. You're, you're missing 50% of your three throws or whatever you're doing. And, you know, and I thought that was so interesting, right? Because if you think about it, you know, how much of the time are we really exposing ourselves to that level of learning? Now, of course, you know, there's, it needs to be low stakes setting, right? Yeah. I wouldn't be recommending that people go out and, you know, risk 50% failure in front of, say, the CEO or the board or yeah. whatever it is. But as a concept, as an idea, I think it's a, a, a really uh, liberating one, right? Well, and, and, and with on top of that, it's to going back to the mindset of it, because a lot of people would take 50% failure as, I suck, I'll give up. Mm. You know, whereas if you go into the mindset, this is the place I need to go to to actually strive and grow and get to where I want to kind of that higher level self, then that place is not a bad experience for you. You see the value of it. And I think part of it for me, I think part of what, it, what in some respects lent itself to me being able to switch to more of a growth set later on is that when I look back and reflect on aspects of my life where I did have skills and areas, like I skateboarded when I was young, for example. And I was quite good, you know, I was sort of good enough. My youngest brother ended up having a professional career for over a decade. Wow. One of the X Games, you know, he's very good. But I always remember how much quickly, how I'd get really better a lot a lot quicker when I was skateboarding with people who were better than me, mm. right? And I, I think the same in terms of a sport like judo. If you think about it, you know, you don't get better from winning all your fights, right? You get better from being at the level of challenge where you get beaten a lot. And I'll tell you what, like, you're down at Christchurch. You've you got some bloody good judo players down there. You've okay. got Graham Spinks, who's a multiple Olympian. You've got Jason Costa as well down there, who's, uh, I think he's a New Zealand coach at the moment and who's a beast, you know. And these are people who you come across them, you know, you, they basically try to hit you with the earth, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's a humbling experience, but it's, it's, a, it's a growth experience, mm. right? But you need to be prepared to embrace that. And I think that's that's sort of like the fourth step for me when I think about what it takes for real change of growth is to be able to really recognize that it's not supposed to be easy, that mm. you need to be prepared to deal with the challenge, to deal with the hardship and to fight to get what you want, you know, to really make it happen. And I, I think that is one of the challenges. Like in modern society, we get all these really unhelpful and false messages like, you know, you should always feel happy and in control. You know, what a load of rubbish. Mm. For a start, you know, your brain's not evolved for you to always feel happy. I mean, if you felt happy all the time, you'd have a really annoying neurological disorder, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just not realistic in terms of the machinery you're using, in terms of, you know, your brain. And there's no way you can always feel in control because the world's out of your control. You know, that's not how things work. So if you have false ideas like this, then what you do is you treat any kind of discomfort, any kind of challenge as a threat to be avoided. Eh? Mm. You know, oh, I shouldn't feel any emotional distress. I shouldn't feel any challenge. And so you're constantly retreating to your comfort zone. Whereas actually, if you recognize, you know what, it ain't supposed to be easy. And that's one of the things my wife likes to say to me when I'm, you know, moaning or, you know, upset about, oh, this isn't, oh it's, like, it's not supposed to be easy. Mm. And it's a good reminder because it's through that challenge that you really grow but also that you more effectively deal with the challenges, the failures, and the obstacles that you experience, right? One of the things we know is that uh, people who are unrealistically optimistic are significantly less likely to achieve their goals because the second they hit a hurdle, the second they hit a challenge, you know, they just 
quit, give up, blame themselves, that sort of thing. Whereas the people who, you know, have that right perspective where they go, you know what, I, I really want this to happen, I believe it can happen, but I also know that there's going to be lots of challenges along the way. There'll be failures, there'll be times when, you know, I'm not demonstrating the behavior I want to demonstrate, and that's okay. When I'm not performing at the level I want to perform at, and that's okay, because that's going to be some real learning opportunity for me there. Um, but also as well, one of the key points I talk about in terms of that sort of step is the importance of being able to leverage your support, right? Yeah. Of being able to make the most of other people around you. I mean, again, let's think of it in terms of that gym analogy. You know, if, if you want to get big at the gym, you need a spotter. You know, you can never perform as well alone as you do with someone else. I, I go to PT sessions, right? I was reluctant to do this for years because I trained, you know, by myself for years. And I thought, oh, I know what I'm doing. I don't mm -hmm. need this stuff. But more recently, I've gone along and started catching up with a PT, a guy, Shale, from Les Mills, actually, in, in Wellington. And he's so bloody good because he makes me work harder than I would ever do by myself. Yeah. You know, he helps me take it to that next level where I walk out of that session, like I did yesterday, where I walk out feeling physically in shock, right? And I'm going, there's no way I would have thought I could do that or have done that by myself. So there's that crucial component of having other people who can be with you on the journey and who you can lean on for support and encouragement, but also who, you know, will offer you support when things aren't going well, when things aren't easy. And I think this is one of the big challenges for many men is because we're socialized with this idea that you should be able to stand on your own two feet and not need support from others. It means we're really bad at seeking it when we do actually need it. Mm -hmm. This is one of the reasons our suicide rates are so bad. As a, as a Pākehā male in my 40s, right, you know, my biggest risk of death is suicide. Really? Not heart wow. disease, not anything else. Absolutely. Wow. That is my biggest risk factor at this point in my life. Wow. And the reason for that is that I'm at a point in life where a lot of people start to go, you know, hey, look, well, what is my life about? Am I doing something meaningful? Am I doing something worthy? Um, am I a worthy person? And then because we have such limited capacity to really reach out for other people because of those self-constrained beliefs and thoughts that, oh, that's not manly, that's not what you do as a man, and so we're not practicing it, that we don't do so. I mean, it's one of the reasons women are way more effective in terms of you know, managing their challenging emotional experiences because they're very good at leaning on support networks yeah. where men aren't. Yeah. And I would say that you know, I grew up thinking that that was the manly thing is to not need support, was what I actually recognize now is what it really means to have courage is to be able to lean into your vulnerability, to be able to embrace that discomfort, and to be able to ask for help when you need it, and also to be able to risk rejection. What kind of people That's should real... you be looking for in your life? Because, you know, like a lot of people are surrounded, and it's always really hard when it's your family, but there's a lot of people who are surrounded in an environment, in a, in a world of people who – like, interesting experience. I remember I, I, I went overseas. This is about like I know I'm always been very conscious of choosing my influences. You know, choosing my world. You know, like and, and making sure it's people who are great and challenge me and support me and you know, all that kind of stuff. But I, I once did a trip for Les Mills, and this is like 2004, and I was around a really horrible group of people, um, and it really affected me. Like I came back quite insecure. I started a bit of stuttering. I started, you know, it was, I, I don't know if I got depression, but I was kind of going down that path. Um, and then luckily, luckily for me, I was like, well, once that trip was done, I was never seeing those people again. But um, what should we be looking for in our people? Well, first of all, hey, I, I just want to validate your experience there. You know, our brains have evolved in a way which is really geared towards us being a social species. Mm -hmm. And our social interactions are incredibly important to us. You know, our desire to belong, to be seen and valued by others. 
But also what it means is that we've developed a certain type of neuron, a certain type of brain cell called mirror neurons, which make other people's emotions really contagious for us. So if you're around other people who are in really challenging emotional states or who act in certain ways or have certain perspectives, that stuff's really contagious because you have a certain type of brain cell to make that stuff contagious, which helps us operate as a social species. So it's not like a a potential thing. It's a very real thing in terms of how your brain functions. So you do want to be careful about who you spend your time with. And there's a couple of things to think about there. One is, you know, what does the behavior of the people you spend your time with suggest about your own values? Do people behave in a way which you would consider to be consistent with your values? Um, if not, then that in itself is a, is a real you know, problem mm. because that's about integrity, that's about sense of character, all of that sort of stuff, and that's crucial. And often you can really evaluate yourself quite starkly by thinking about the people you spend most of your time associating with and what that says about you in terms of, again, you know, whether they're people who are likely to prompt you to want to be better than yourself or who are going to no, have a negative influence. Um, so that's one thing. One thing I'd say, though, is that it's not necessarily around, about surrounding yourself with constantly positive people. No. You know, that can be beneficial for some. But what I would say is the crucial thing is you need to be surrounded by people who share at least some similar core sorts of values to yourself, but also where the relationship is reciprocal. That's the most important thing, where you both benefit from the relationship. I mean, that's the key. It's mutually beneficial. Mm. The problem is, is when you end up in relationships which are parasitic, where you're dealing with someone who's sort of like an emotional vampire or a psychic vampire or someone who's benefiting from your engagement but is only taking from you. And in fairness, look, those can be people who have the same disposition as well as the, you know, the more challenging people to be around. So that's the thing. Is this a mutually beneficial relationship where it actually makes me want to grow as a person? But part of that can be because it's a relationship where you have the opportunity to hear views and opinions which are quite different from your own. Because that's one of the things that you need to grow, right? Talking about all this mindset stuff, in order to grow, you need to have what's called colliding perspectives. That's where people introduce you to different ideas that make you think more about your own view of the world and therefore further refine that and better understand what it is you believe, or that prompt you to actually accommodate a different view of the world in order to broaden your insights and you know your capacity to think and deal with complexity. So I would say key thing there is that don't just look to surround yourself with uh, you know other people who have exactly the same views and position as yourself or way of operating the world, but just make sure that the people you surround yourself with are people who you can have a mutually beneficial engagement with. Yeah. Um, in your last step, you say living free. What does it mean? Mm. What does living free mean? It means no one's at the top of their mountain. You know, when it comes to being the best version of yourself, when it comes to really striving towards your potential, that is an exercise that doesn't have an end. When it comes to self-mastery, you know, no one is sitting at the top of their mountain as a perfect human being who in all circumstances and all situations performs how they'd like and demonstrates the behavior they'd most like their reputation to reflect. It is a lifelong journey. You know, I had the... Um, uh, pleasure of interacting with Graham Henry yeah. uh, recently as part of some work I was doing. And he was talking about the All Blacks and their pursuit of excellence. And he said something that really connected with me because, again, as we've been talking about, I'm all about this idea of getting better, mm. you know, not being good, getting better. And he said, well, better never stops. Mm. And that's really what that idea of living free is about. It's about that this requires ongoing effort and maintenance. You know, it's something where consistent 
if it was required. It's never going to be over. It's never going to be done. I think of it as comparable to character fitness, right? So character, for me, I like to define that as having the uh, moral fitness to be able to do what's right rather than what's easy and having the emotional fitness to be able to um, remain effective and resilient when you're experiencing challenge. So those two elements for me is what comprise character fitness. Mm -hmm. And like physical fitness, it's not something that you do, you know, you don't get fit and then go, okay, well, I don't need to exercise anymore. That's done. Now I'll move on to something yeah. else. Yeah. Wouldn't it, God, wouldn't that be great if that's <laughs> well, well, but, but, the, but the answer is no, because <laughs> then you lose the love of fitness. Did you lose, well, you know, that's the thing is that it seems appealing true, as you say it, true. you know, but really it's actually, no, fitness adds so much to my life, not just growth, it's, it's friendships, it's being in nature, you know, and then you, you actually lose that, isn't it? That's the irony of it. Yeah. yeah, but so is the life journey. You know, yeah. it's it's not something where this is one of the things which you can achieve, tick off your list of things to do, and then walk away from. And you have to keep it really real about that. I mean, so for example, you know, like I use this sort of prison uh, metaphor, right? Like, so what's your prison? So my prison was my thoughts and beliefs about the world, and then you know these are the steps that you can take to sort of break free of that mental prison to live a better life, right? But the reality of living free that I've certainly found is that. Your brain can't one You experience this increased, you know, um, liberty as a result and enhanced experience of life. And then you recognize you're within a perimeter fence for another cell block. Yeah. And there were just these other areas that you didn't recognize or, or think about. I mean, like for me, a massive one has been around, you know, what it means to be a father and what it means to be a husband. Because I did all this work in terms of myself, right, and breaking free of the things that were holding me back, my thoughts and beliefs. But then I find myself in this completely different arena where it's about, well, how can I be with someone else? And that is an ongoing journey of trying to get better. The living free step is about, you know, keeping it real in the sense that I regularly fail to be the, the best version of myself, the version I would want my reputation to reflect as a husband and as a father. But that's not a judgment against me. That's just an opportunity to learn and grow. And that's going to be a journey that never stops. I'm going to never stop working on being a better husband and a better father. And that's going to be lifelong, you know, and it's one of those things where there'll be, you know, the absolute best victories and emotions that are experienced as a result of it, but also, you know, the most challenging and the most distressing in terms of letting myself and others down. But that's what it means to really be involved in life, eh? And in fact, that's one of the things I'd say. Having experiences of distressful emotions, challenging emotions, that is an indicator that you're trying to do something meaningful, mm -hmm. that you're in the arena, you're off the spectator seats, you know, and that you're really getting amongst in life and trying to do something important. It's not something to be avoided. It's an indicator to be paid attention to that you're actually in there and trying it. Can I ask, you know, I always like to ask this question and it's because um, often we're in the world where we support others' growth and, and obviously, you know, mm. you, yourself, you spend a lot of time kind of self-evolving. Where is your biggest struggle? Is it, is it, is it, that, is it oh. the, well, yeah, I'll leave, I'll leave it to you. Yeah, my biggest struggle. Um, yeah, I, I think for me that is, again, demonstrating the behavior that I want to as a parent and a husband. There's no question that that's my biggest struggle. It's the area that I'm least experienced in. So again, my kids are pretty young. Um, I haven't been married for all that long. You know, I've been with my wife now, been together for, oh, I think it's six years. We've known each other. First year of that was a distance relationship. And then, you know, we dated and then we got married. Um, uh, I think it's coming on three years ago now. Geez, I should be stop saying all this, I think, stuff, right? <laughs> but anyway, I still feel it's an area where I'm continually growing on a daily basis. There's very little that I have dialed. There's very little that I can sort of just um, 
go on autopilot. I'm still having to pay a lot of attention. And it's tough, particularly because when you throw into uh, the situations we're talking about there, all the pre-fatigue factors like stresses from work, spending a busy day at work. You know, again, if you think of it as like that emotional fitness analogy, I go to work, I often give the best of myself to people who are nowhere near as important to me as my family Uh are. By the time I get home, I'm pre-fatigued. So emotionally, the chances of them getting the most patient, you know, assuming the best, least grumpy person is significantly reduced. So for me, my biggest struggle and area for growth that I'm focused on at the moment is how can I make sure that I can still deliver to the level that I want in my work life, which is absolutely, you know, at the highest level, but then also make sure that I've got fuel in the tank to be the person I want to be at home. Mm. You know, a colleague of mine, a guy, Digby Scott, talks about work-life balance in a way that really appeals to me. Because often when we think of work-life balance, right, which is a big thing people talk about, we think about attaining some kind of static zen pose where our level of balance will be such that we'll be in the lotus position and the universe will be flowing through us, you know, in this very static way. Whereas actually the, the analogy he uses that I really like and I think is far more realistic is, Work-life balance is like having a barrel on its side with a plank on top of it, and you're standing on top of the plank trying to keep your balance. And it requires constant dynamic recalibration, eh? You know, you're constantly shifting your weight to try and not fall off to keep that balance. It's a dynamic thing. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's the ongoing struggle is that trying to maintain that right balance. But also as well, that's a struggle I embrace because it shows me I'm trying in all the areas of my life that are important. If it was easy, then I wouldn't be in that growth zone, right? Mm, mm. Yeah, so it's that kind of recognizing the efforts, the reason, kind of what I mean. Yeah, 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 again. And, you know, like for me, I look at it and I look at my workload, and I'm someone who has difficulty saying no to things. I hate feeling like I'm missing opportunities, right, to do stuff I love. Well, look, put it this way. In in psychology, the, the biggest driver for people is the fear of loss, okay? That is the, yep. the biggest single yep. driver. Yeah, but investing, investing, you see that a lot. People make poor investments because they're so fearful of losing right. money, yeah. Right, so this is the thing. There are two different lenses, though, on that fear of loss. Some people are oriented towards fear of losing what they already have, and that prompts a more conservative approach. You know, it's more about protecting stuff. But you have other people who are oriented towards a fear of losing what they could have so and could gain. Yeah. yeah, and I'm in that camp. You know, I mean, I'm fortunate that I have a wife who's, you know, uh, more reasoned in terms of being a bit more conservative around decisions. So yeah. reins me in, you know, it's a, it's a really good foil for my um, comfort with risk taking. Yeah. But I'm driven by that, you know, what else could I be doing? What's the additional impact I could have? What could I be doing here? So I need to be really conscious and deliberate about managing that. But part of it as well is previously I sort of looked and gone, well, I just need to reduce my workload. I just need to reduce my workload. But the reality is, is that's part of it. But the other part of it is I need to be consciously and really deliberately continuing to work on my emotional fitness so that I can proactively increase my capacity to cope with stress and pressure before I get fatigued and then ability to recover afterwards. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's that balance of those two things, eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, big time. Um, I could talk to you for many days, mate. You're a bloody legend. Um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Just, just any kind of last things you'd want to kind of, kind of share with anyone who's listening to this? Any kind of things that you haven't touched on that maybe you just want to quickly kind of oh. share? I, I suppose um, big thing for me is that, you know, you, your brain's wired for you to have lots of distressing emotions. Your brain's wired for you to have lots of unpleasant emotions. 
you know, those aren't bad emotions to be avoided. You know, emotions aren't good or bad. Emotions are either helpful or unhelpful. And that's a more useful way to think about them. And a better way to deal effectively with your emotions is just to accept that you're going to have them. You know, is not to try and say, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this, but rather just to be able to create a bit of space for it. For example, you know, in terms of uh, the conversation before, I'm already feeling a little bit anxious about how I spoke about my offense and all of that sort of stuff earlier on. But instead of going to myself, oh, well, you know, that's a terrible thing. I'm just going, okay, well, I'm just going to make a bit of space for that because it's an uncomfortable area to discuss. So that's absolutely fine. That's an appropriate emotional reaction for me to have Mm. in a sensitive area as opposed to going, oh, I shouldn't be feeling anxious, or that definitely means I've done something wrong. So that's one of the things I'd say is stop thinking of your emotions as good or bad based on whether they're pleasant or unpleasant to feel and start thinking of them as helpful or unhelpful. Another example there, you know, we often think that fear is a bad thing. I feel fear every time my toddler walks into the kitchen and I'm cooking. It's a really helpful emotion to have. Mm -hmm. But equally, if you think about some of the things that are pleasant to experience, those can be problematic too, depending on your situation and the outcome. I mean, I know you've got a global audience who may not be familiar with the scenario, but think of our, you know, our ex-Prime Minister, John Key, sitting in a restaurant and getting a bit excited when he saw a waitress walk past with a ponytail. Yeah. You know, I would say that there was a very unhelpful emotion based on the outcome <laughs> associated with that. But I'm sure it was pleasant for him at the time. Mm. So that's one of my key messages there is stop thinking about your emotions as good or bad. Start thinking of them as helpful or unhelpful, very specifically based on the situation you're in when you feel them what you do with them, what you get from them. Stop trying to fight them. Start making space for them, noticing them, but not letting them stop you from doing what you need to do. Um, but if people want to follow you? Oh, uh, DR Paul Wood, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, that's about as sophisticated as I am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, link that. Okay. and your website is what, what's my prison I'll put a link to all of those in the show notes thanks for your time mate you, yeah. you, you're, I love your passion I love your insight um, you're obviously doing really important work out there and uh, just keep doing what you're doing mate you're a bloody rock star brilliant my pleasure Okay, John, that was Dr. Paul Wood, uh, and I'll put a link to his website in the show notes. So you can just go dub, 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 iamtalk.me, and you can check it out there. Uh, Winger of the Week, Jumbo. We are going with the Vascular Viking, uh, the vascular viking Volker Voigt. I'm just about to start reading the book he gave me. Really? Yeah, nice. Yeah. Uh, total distance, 941.5 kilometer, kilometers. Really? That's pretty impressive. I remember he was saying to us he was going off to Tanyapura, um, and oh, just see Marie Hill there is leading this week's rankings so far. This week, Volker Voigt on his show page, he's got some serious, uh, some serious skin off there on his profile pictures. <laughs> Bloody hell, he's had a good doozy crash over there. Uh, he's currently over in uh, in Phuket, I think it is. Yes, he is. He did a PR on the banyan tree to the property. God, Strava's stupid on some things. I do go on to Strava a bit to, to check out some things, but if, you, if you're not on Strava, it's really cool for comparing things. Like, say you go out and do a big hill, you know, your main hill climbs and stuff. That's why I like going on and just seeing, you know, for something like a, a 10 minute effort or a 5 minute effort. Yeah. But you get all these tools that go on there and put these, like, they're 200 meters. Yeah. I'm just like, really? What's the point? Yep. 
you, anyway. yeah, you go for a run, you see lots of kind of little segments. Eh? Yeah. yeah. And Volk, but Volk was over there cranking out some serious training over in uh, Thailand. So you go, you good thing. Okay, questions <laughs> and answers. Good old Tim Hemming sent through a, a comment because we talked about, so he said, you mentioned a Cycle Network video on always you know, you know, on the race weight on this week's show. And this was just before Christmas. And physical and mental deter, uh, deterioration of athletes that become over-controlled in this area. Dr. Renee McGregor is the dietitian in a short film but I also got her along with Jodie Can- uh, Can- Can- Kama yep. do, do, and Jesse well. Thomas yeah well I suppose you can do it yeah okay go Kanamana <laughs> sorry to interrupt there but because this is a good segue into Zania Morrison sent us through uh, where is it where is oh, it oh okay it? the zoots or whatever it is who the zoots are she said the Muppets are called the Snoths there you go is it the one who goes do 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 do? I'm about to tell you because she sent. She even she did her. Tim Heming is loving that we've gone into this side segment. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> Grammarly, I don't need Grammarly to check my grammar. I know it's shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Yep. It is then. This is from 1969. Mana, mana. Oh, boys, oh. No, that was me. I was getting too close to the microphone. This is such a great song. The Muppets were gold. Take it away, Bevan. That is gold. The Muppets that were is gold. gold. Tell you what, a good book Zarya. to read is, is Tim, he- um, not Tim Heming's book, although I'm sure if you read a book, it'd be great. Jim Morrison's, uh, Jim Henson? Jim Henson? Yeah. Henson? Henson. Henson, Henson. His book's phenomenal. Great breed. Okay, back to so, serious stuff. So, back, so he spoke to Jody and Jesse Thomas, who have both spoken openly about their challenges around surrounding food and exercise. And a coach and lecturer, Dr. Andy Kirl- Kirkland, um, Kirkland sorry, uh, to talk about attitudes to food within triathlon. And he's got a Q&A kind of article that he did. Uh, and so I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes because it's a pretty great article. He says, as an aside, McGregor was also instrumental in launching an initiative called Hashtag Train Brave at the weekend in London. This movement looks at providing help and support for those with distorted eating in sport and educate them around the subject. So important stuff, really important stuff. Because the thing is, it's a problem in the pros, but it's a lot of age groupers as well. Oh, it's a problem across the board. Yeah. Um, next one, John, is by Rob. How's that one? Dimitro. Where do I meet Rob? I don't know. You're telling the story. Hmm. I don't know. I can't remember. Sorry, Rob. Something special? Yes. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, he's in a link to an article. So a six-year-old from Richmond this breaks the world record of completing 60 Ironman races. So did you, watch the, did you watch the clip? Uh, I think I got this before Christmas. I yeah, think I might have done. I did too, but <laughs> great research. Great yeah. research. If you need a little inspiration start yeah. to start and complete your resolution for 2019, look no further than Richmond native Will Turner. Turner gained attention earlier in the year as he embarked on a mission to complete 60 Ironman races at 60 years old. Now, nearly a year on and 8,000 miles later, this ultra athlete has finally accomplished his ultimate goal. You think about, you know, we, we talked about Iron Cowboy when he did his, and his was what, 50 and 50 days, wasn't it? Which is pretty, and 50 mm. states, which is just ridiculous. But, and you think, long term damage for your body. What about when you're 60? I know. Oh. Good on him. We'll have a link. It's on NBC12.com. So nice work. And it's got a good little kind of, it's a, it's a news piece on it. So here's a good, who's in this one, John? 
what, what are we talking the about? The cost of going to Kona. Oh, this is a good old Finn Swager. He doesn't like his nickname. I want to use his nickname, but he doesn't like it. What is it? The Professor. What's wrong with the Professor? I don't know. Huh. Finn? We, we probably should have gone Shark. We should, could have done. <laughs> we should have gone Shark. Yeah, why didn't we go to the Shark? Hey, we got the Shark. Don't know. Where's he from? Uh, he's living in uh, Dubai. But where's he from? He is Dutch. The Dutch Shark. Okay. Yeah, there you touch go. Uh, yep. Finn, pass on our feedback and whether you like it or not. So he's just done, um, this is for an athlete who's living in Dubai, uh, the cost of going to Kona Ooh. and the 70.3 world champs. Obviously, you know, you could do things on the cheap, and um, but Finn, we're not... So this is this his experience? This is an experience for somebody living in Dubai. If you wanted to go to Port Elizabeth for the for in South Africa for 70.3s, you want to have a coach, you want to go to the World Champs, and uh, you've got all your other memberships. Obviously, doing try over there is more expensive with memberships. Like in New Zealand, it costs us a couple of bucks to get into a pool. Over there, I'd imagine it's probably bloody 15 bucks a session or whatever it is. Mm. But cost, he's, he's broken it all down. Uh, it's 23500 US to, to go and do those two events and everything around them in terms of getting there. It's get a part-time job. Getting up there. Get a part-time job. John, let's do a patrons. We've got a new patron, uh, Julian Swartz. I'm glad to finally be helping out as a patron and appreciate very much what you guys do. Uh, he's Julian Swartz. He's 49 years old. He lives in San Antonio. Yeah. Really? Hey, y'all. Texas. Yeah, it is Texas. It is. Yeah. San Antonio the Spurs. Spurs. Yep, yep. There we go. We do they're, they're a pretty good team too. Because so. they won the NBA championships like four times in the last 15 years, I think. There, there I could be right. I'm not much okay. I'm going to find out. I'm about as interested in American sport as Americans are in New Zealand. Do you sport. know what, John? I'm going to go on a bit of a rant here. Yeah. Because I I like radio sport, although they, they need oh, they need new hosts, don't they? I haven't listened for a long time now. I'm off they, it. They've lost some of the hosts, and I'm always about bringing them. Saying you and I should do a good job <laughs> because they're just a bit lacking lately. But they're going to American sport. Yes. Yeah. That's that's what lost me. And I'm like, mate. And and I heard this reporter on there the other day, and he's going, and he's going, oh, you know, New Zealand sport. I don't see rugby lasting in the long term because you know, New Zealand sport's not interesting. And, blah, blah. and I'm like, mate, you're a reporter. It's your job to find what's interesting in New Zealand sport. Yeah, anyway, that's my rant. Anyway, uh, we're not ranting about Americans. I just no, said, I'm finding NBA. Said, um, Americans probably aren't that interested in rugby. Um, New Zealand rugby, anyway. I'm married to my lovely wife, Myra, who's also an Ironman athlete. I have two great kids who are almost grown up, but not quite. My day job is a lawyer, but my passion is all things try. My wife and I are proud members of Britain's Tri-Force. Uh, I did my first sprint in 2013. They've stepped up the distance each year and did my first Ironman in 2016. Since then, it's been pretty much one full, a couple of 70.3s and a few other running or bike events annually to keep me satiated I began listening to I Am Talk back in 2015 and then added Legends jeez I'm getting a bit weak on the old bloody Legends I need to pick up yeah, my game we three episodes last year it was pretty great I and a few other tri podcasts over the last few years for my but for my weekly listening pleasure love it all the news the fun the history and love following the pros too appreciate you guys keep it up and we appreciate your support and I was kind of almost 100% accurate so since 1999 they've won it one two three four Five times. So that's pretty good. In the last 20 years, I won five of them. Mm -hmm. That's that's up there. Um, so what's the nickname then? Oh, we'll back it up. Keep going. Do you, you talk? Um, what's on Hogan's Heroes? Yeah. 
Do you know Schwartz do, do, on that? Do, do, do you know the guy who was the host, the main guy? Do you know the story about him? I think you've told this one before. Yeah. I can't quite remember, but I'm pretty sure you've told he it before. He basically had a, 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 and this is the old days when no one had cameras. He had a room in his house. It was all set up with cameras and he basically made homo porn. <laughs> like, massive loads. <laughs> yeah. And I think he got in a bit of trouble later on, got yeah. caught. Yeah. Like it was pretty God. full on. Yeah. Uh, it was Schultz. Oh, what? It was Schultz, not Schwartz. It was Schultz. Schultz was the bigger guy who was the. Do you think you'll know Hogan's hero? He's 49. He's a few years older than us. Yeah. No, no, but he's from, from Texas. Oh, yeah, true. Anyway. Uh, oh, Hogan's Heroes. No, Hogan's Heroes will be American program, was it? Yeah, it will be because they're going. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, of course you will. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking of um, Ain't Half Hot Mum. No, what's, what was the one, the, the one, the Pommy one? Hello, hello. No, no, the, the war one. Come on, we've got this. The guy just died on the news last night. Sergeant Major! You know, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. Ted's Army. Ted's Army. Ted's Army. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. All the Pommy listeners are saying, sharpen up, boys. Um, Julian Schwartz, we could go Hogan or. Uh, oh, yeah. Hogan. Oh, but that's the guy who's a porn star. That's the guy. You can be um, okay. Wait a second. Something hero. Commandant. So which was the, which was the guy who was dodgy? Was it was it, I Hogan? Think it was Hogan? Okay, we'll call him Commandant. Okay, Commandant Julian Schwartz. Yes. Good. Good. I like okay. it. There we go. Commandant Julian. Clink, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just a little bit too young for that show. Oh, you're so much younger than me. You know, I'm just, you know, that one year makes a big difference, Sean. <laughs> makes a big difference. So if you want to become a patron of the show, just go to www.imtalk.me and you'll see a link to become a patron. Uh, thank you to Julian and everybody else who's a patron because it makes a big difference to what we are doing. Uh, John, you've got Mike, the king of the castle. Oh, so, um, so I was, I've just got to put on Julian's name here. So, Commandant, thanks for that. Oh, close enough. Spell <laughs> check. <laughs> what was that site that it came up before? My uh, gram- grammarly. grammarly yeah, I need, exactly. I need my grammarly. Spellerly. Uh, so I was running along in uh, Kiteri doing, it was my last session, last key session that I had up there. And I did an Olympic distance simulation at half Ironman effort. So, and I'd done nine and a half K on my run. I had about, no, probably even more than that. I probably done 9.6, 9.7K. So oh, had like two or 300 no. meters. And you see someone like you? And I'm running along and he goes, Somebody goes, Coach John Newsom, and and I knew, and and you Mike had emailed, me, he'd emailed me and saying, "Can we catch up?" And I said, "Oh, look, we're going home like the next day. I think it might be a little bit tricky." And so I'm running along, and I'm going, "Don't know who the hell that was," but I decided to stop with 300 meters to go on a oh, key you're session. A good man. Had a chat to, to Mike, and he was over there with the family, and he was about, he literally had his pack. His family came over, and they were literally about to get on the boat and go and walk the with Tasman based oh. off our recommendations. So Mike, the king of the castle, Morpeth, hope you had a good time doing the with Tasman. The weather would have been awesome. Oh, yeah. I guarantee you had a great time. Mm. How can you not have a great time doing that? You can't. It's you're right. Stunning. Third time tonight, you're right. Bloody hell. Mate, 2019's my year, John. It's this evening recording. You're on a roll. You've had That's all day to build up for it. In the morning, you're yeah. a bit slow yeah. off oh, the mark. Oh, what are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, patrons, go to patrons. You know the story. It really helps us do what we do and it helps us in 2019. Jombo, our sponsors. Extreme Endurance. Lactic Buffer. And our patrons. And you know who you are. You absolutely rock. If you want to email the show, you can email Bevan James. I know I am talkpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to become a patron, Go to www.imtalk.me for coaching. Go to coachjohnnewsom.com. And if you enjoyed the show, uh, the interview with uh, Dr. Paul today, and you like that kind of stuff, you can check out my podcast at bevanjamesos.com. And if you want to send us email, um, content like Edge Group of the Roots, Group Weeks, or anything like that, just email them through to us. Jumbo, 
crank, crank those through now because this is a really quiet time of the year. So we want some websites. We want some good age group stories from last year. So do send those through. Okay, Jombo, the bigger question is, what's your goss? People have missed the goss. It's been a while. So we recorded, what, about December 18th, was it? Something like that? So yeah, over a month, today's the 21st, over a month. So for me, we had Christmas at home. Uh, we went to my parents' place for Christmas. What'd you, oh, what was that? Oh, was it some Facebook notification? Um, and then we went up to Nelson for a couple of days. That's the top of the South Island. Drove up this new... Because uh, we had all these bloody earthquakes in New Zealand, we had a, really bad earthquakes up in Kaikoura, and they've built these amazing new roads up there. Yeah, they're, they're uh, awesome, aren't they? So we drove up through there, and that was that was wicked. So another amazing part of New Zealand is the Kaikoura coastline. It's um, pretty spectacular. Been this massive, massive uplift since the earthquakes in terms of just all this rock coming out of the water and they had to completely rebuild the road. A couple of nights in Nelson, a couple of weeks in Kaiteri, which was the weather was just amazing the water was probably the clearest i've ever seen it really good visibility and uh had good times up there and then came back early about just less than a week ago back to reality back to reality Yo, comes um for kiwi athletes what'd what you do for christmas I got some new earphones, headphone, uh, earplugs. Yeah, yeah. So I'm interested to see how they go because I got we years ago. Yeah. We got the your buds from. Yeah, they were good. Uh, and I've still got them. They were fantastic. You can still get them, but they've, they've been bought out by JBC. JBL. Yeah, yeah, so I've got these JBL. Is it once J- JBC or something? Whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. and that's I got what them for I've got. Joe. And I just think I need to tweak them, but they don't seem to be quite as good. So I got that. Uh, a few other bits and bobs. We got the guinea pigs. Guinea pigs are. Crack the kids are loving the guinea pigs. That's good. So that's good. Uh, outside of that, for, for Kiwi listeners, we did a half Ironman simulation session at a new venue that I've sussed out. Uh, so look out for a new half Ironman coming your way probably next season. In Christchurch. Yeah, just outside Christchurch. It's going to be, I've got a good name for it. And John's race, yeah, <laughs> and it's a not a challenging course, but it's a, a swim in this irrigation lake. That's like this guy's built this 500 meter long lake, just an irrigation, oh, really? jet ski and stuff in there, and water boat, uh, motorboat in there, yeah, and nice quiet roads on the bike, and uh, that went really well. So it's looking, uh, it's looking good. Good times, John's half marathon. Mm. Oh, I mean, I'm gonna, I can't call a nine man. I, yeah, that's the thing. You got to be very careful with John's your half. I'll probably just call it a long distance. You could call it John's on. better half. I could. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Bevan, what's happening in your world? John. <sighs> How do I start? Got a, got, a, got an email from a text from Mountain Snail. Yes. Uh, so so we're, here we go. So I'm in, I'm in Monica and we interviewed Mountain Snail. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, when I'm in Monica, come hang out. Got to go do a swim run swim session. Run. So well, I, I, being the good, good researcher that I am for this show... Oh, the mountain snail said, how about we do it? Must have been maybe the second or maybe just for New Year's. Maybe the th- I can't remember when it was sometime. And he said, oh, meet me at the entrance. I met him at the entrance and he got in the car and him and his wife and they took me to this. The, we found a course and I said to him, I don't want to go that long. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I don't want to be doing hours and hours, you know, somewhere like an hour to an hour and a half would be sweet. Turn up. Um, he, he's um, organised. He's got the gear. He's got yeah. all the gear and he set me up well. He did give me the full, the full blimmin', full length blimmin' wetsuit. Wait, so, yeah. yeah, he just, had all the shorty stuff on and yeah. I was in the. So, um, and, and, and what? So then John said, well, you should take some photos. And I was like, yeah, I'll take some photos. And I said to myself, I'm, I'm pretty sure the iPhone's waterproof. And so <laughs> I went on Apple and it said, waterproof for 30 minutes up to one meter deep. So I was yeah. like, sweet, I can take the phone. 
Turns out, John, the iPhone's not working. <laughs> $1,000 later. So, and, and, but I'm a little bit upset with Apple, and I'm a right Apple geek. If it's not waterproof, it's not waterproof. Don't have it on the yeah. website. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then there's no warranty for it. And it's like, well, I made a decision based on yeah. what you had on your website. You know, so I was a little bit upset. So, but, but I'll move on because yeah. life, life's too short. Um, but it was actually quite cool. So basically what we did is we kind of ran for about 25 minutes. Um, and I was, I was pulling John in the running. Yeah. Um, and then we got in the water and he pulled me in the water. And we, it, was, it was actually quite perfect really because we kind of ran for 25 minutes and then kind of swam for a few hundred metres around the bay, ran around a little more, swam again, kind of reversed it back. Um, I, was, <laughs> I was pretty hot because <laughs> it was a hot day anyway. Um, and, and it was really interesting running. Have you ever ran with a bungee? No. It was really interesting because yeah. John is a slower runner than me, but not, not probably not hugely slower, but slower. Um and you know, I was definitely working, and mm-hmm. but I could definitely feel my pull. Mm-hmm. And he was saying his wife was. You're telling his wife as well. In <laughs> <laughs> the kids, yeah. no. no, no. But he was saying normally him and his wife are at pretty similar speed when they go running. Yeah. Um, and we we kept her quite a lot just because I was pulling John. Yeah. You know, so you can definitely see the advantage of using the pull or the or the kind of bungee. the bungee, uh, in the water. John was and I probably me. He's a better swimmer than I am. Yeah. But with the paddles mm. and the pool boy yeah. and um and being after draft him, I probably didn't, I didn't really need to use the, the yeah. bungee that much. Um, you do you do have to keep your sighting pretty good because you can get tangled up in a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I I really see the potential. I really like. I could definitely see myself doing something like that. Mm. Like it's just kind of cool. And the thing about it, I'm not a strong swimmer, mm. but with the gear, you got a wetsuit, you got your pool boys, you got your your pedals. Mm. You can actually swim quite well, mm. you know. So to me, yeah, I'm a big fan. Come on, A plus. There you go. Mountain Snow. There you go. We've got no photos of it, Mountain Snow. Got no photos of it. We took <laughs> lots of good photos. Your voice is coming your way too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there you go. So anyway, uh, let's wrap it up, Jobo. I'm Russ. I mean, don't train hard. Train smart. Kicker.